Hello everybody and welcome to Double Odd 7, the unofficial podcast, uh, back with a new episode, a unique one for us, uh, we're straying away from the, th- the films that we love, um, even the ones we don't love, we love more than what we're talking about today, um, yeah, we're, we're taking, this is the battle of the podcast and we're talking about um, a film that I never thought would ever get made, um, but it did. It was Never Say Never Again from 1983, released just four months, I believe, after Octopussy. Uh, I'm sure you all know, if you're Bond fans, what this film is, although some pretend that it doesn't exist. Um, I don't blame them for that. Uh, fair point. Uh, starring Sean Connery uh, back, he said he would never play James Bond again. Well, he did. Um so who knows, maybe in 2016 we'll get Never Say Never Again 2 uh, with Sean Connery back. But uh, before we jump into it, I will say that my name is Fatty Ma Groves. My name is Ben, and I believe I'll be having you for the next two hours. <laughs> and I'm Colin, and that is also Arabic for Tears of Allah. <laughs> <laughs> Bring back Max Kalba. Um Yeah, it's Never Say Never Again. I don't know what we're even going to talk about in this episode. Um, Listen to the excitement in Noah's voice. (laughs) (laughs) Summoned all our voices here, like, oh, what are we doing? Why are we doing this episode? I I think we will jump into the history about it and all that, but of course, you know, that Kevin McClory and Jack Whittingham are never to be heard from. Um, They had the legal issues with Fleming regarding Thunderbolt, and after all this time, no one thought it would ever happen. They had trouble with Spy Love Me. Uh, McClory actually, damn you, McClory, uh, actually got the rights to produce a James Bond film outside the canon of the Eon films. Um, and signing on board was Irving Kirshner, who <laughs> would perhaps best known for directing The Empire Strikes Back, uh, one of the Not greatest known films. For these. In the world, so he went from that. Well, maybe not went from that, but well, yeah, went from that to this film, um, which like stinks more than a Jabba the Hutt turd or something like. Um, <laughs> can you believe this was directed by the director of The Empire Strikes Back? Um, but I guess before we jump into the history and all that, <laughs> we should probably talk about our history with this film. We've kind of already touched on it last week. Um, And just our general thoughts, and I'll just quickly say, this is not great. Um, But there are people out there who refuse to even acknowledge this as a James Bond film. But I think it is a James Bond film. And while it was very long and difficult to get through, this is probably the third time I've seen it, I guess. Maybe fourth, but I'm going to say third. Ah, Yeah, it's not great. But I want to always look on the bright side of life and... 
I think there will be some things that I'll give it props for where it's due. Not many, but I, I do want to be fair on it and not just shit all over on every single scene. Uh, so there are some stuff I genuinely uh, enjoyed about this film, but for the most part, yeah, never talk about it again. <sighs> um, <laughs> you were so nice to this movie just then. Noah, um, those people out there that don't acknowledge this as a James Bond film, sign me up. I'm with you. Um, look, I'd never seen this movie before I watched this, and I got about 20 minutes into it and wished that that was still the case because not only is this the worst movie in anything related to James Bond ever, um, hashtag or asterisk, wait until I've seen the 1950s Casino Royale before I entirely comment on that. Um, this could quite possibly be the worst movie I think I've ever seen in my entire no. life. This is, this is, <laughs> oh, and, and the fact you've never seen Snow Dogs before, <laughs> oh, don't start on Snow Dogs for God's sake, but. Like, oh, just there's just so much wrong with this. The fact that it's passing off as a James Bond film, um, I will go out right now and say that I will never bag Roger Moore out for looking old ever again because, I mean, Sean Connery is younger than Roger Moore and yet in this movie he seems like he's 30 years older than Roger Moore and Octopussy. Um, there's, there's just, there's probably two things in this entire film that I have any sort of liking towards. The rest is just rubbish and... Oh, I, I think I need to start off being, quote, nice, because I'm not going to be nice throughout this episode. This this, this is just, you said Jabba the Hutt turd. This is Jabba the Hutt septic tank. <laughs> uh, I, I think I'm going to be nicer than Ben, and I never thought I would say that. And it's not because <laughs> I like this movie, because I don't. Um, I just think that there are, if this were to have been an official James Bond movie, you make a couple of changes. It's probably still the worst James Bond movie ever made, but it's not. Uh, it's not a hut turn. Um, <laughs> We've coined a new phrase. Yeah, let's, just, <laughs> let's just first say that, like, uh, Irvin Kirshner gets way too much credit because of The Empire Strikes Back. And as a huge Star Wars fan, it's always bothered me when people say, well, The Empire Strikes Back was the best Star Wars movie, so get Irvin Kirshner to do all the movies. If you look at the other movies Irvin Kirshner has made, he makes nothing but turds. This is the man responsible for Never Seen Ever Again, as well as RoboCop 2, which is only a slight step above Did RoboCop he direct 3, Snow okay? Dogs? <laughs> Irvin Kershaw did Snow Dogs as well, and Snow Dogs 2. Snow Buddies, I think it was called. Um, Irvin Kershaw just, he's, he has no inspiration, and, you know, Star Wars was an anomaly for him that he could pull that off, because the problem with this movie is it just has no energy and no inspiration, it's a remake of Thunderball, but it's trying to be different. It's not changing things for the better. Um, I do appreciate that they tried to make it its own movie in ways, but there are other ways where for a man that's that bitter at Ian Fleming, he just seems to be piggybacking off all these other successes. You know, there, Q is in this movie, even though Q had nothing to do with Thunderball, the book or the story they wrote. And, you know, overall, it was... Uh, there's an interesting history behind it, which we'll probably get into in a minute with this movie being made, but it was essentially made just to stick it to Ian Fleming and then for Connery to stick it to Broccoli and Saltzman. And that's all this movie really comes down to. Now, having said that, there are some okay scenes in this when it's not remaking Thunderball, because if you treat this as re I'm the big fan of Thunderball, but I'm sure even you guys are watching this thing and like, you know, we're going to be a little bit kinder to Thunderball now because yes. it, it's, it's, 
yeah, it's so unimpressive in comparison, considering it's a remake that's done 20 years later. They should be doing it bigger and better. Mm-hmm. Although I do think there are some very small things that have done better than Thunderbolt, but we'll get to that. Um, mm. Very many things. I'd say there's one there. thing, one thing that is, well, two things. Well, one and a half things well, that are better than Thunderbolt. We, we can keep an eye out for that. Through like, was this better one than Thunderbolt? One and three quarters top. <laughs> well, that's really something we should be tracking here, the similarities between the two films. But um, I'm just looking here at Irving Kirshner's filmography. One of his films from 1974 is Spies. I'm not sure if you've ever Underrated. seen Spies. Underrated. Um, S-P-Y-S. Yeah. Um, a comedy about two bumbling men who are spies are targeted for elimination by the CIA, KGB, and the French terrorist group. So he made a spy parody film before he made Never Say Never Again, which is arguably the bigger yeah. didn't spy Mel- Didn't Melissa film. McCarthy just do that film? I think that's spy, yeah. Well, it sounds very similar, <laughs> but anyway... <laughs> Yeah, so I think we've pretty much touched on a lot of the history of this film. Um, he was trying to get this going for a long time, and we talked about why um, The Spy Who Loved Me uh, didn't, he being Kevin McClory, um, why The Spy Who Loved Me didn't get produced, uh, almost didn't, or was delayed, sorry, and didn't have Blofeld because of this. And he was trying to make this film for a long time, and... It still blows my mind that he got Connery back on board. Like that still is amazing. Um, maybe not as amazing as the fact that uh, Connery did a 2005 video game for From Russia with Love. That's probably more surprising. But yeah, it does really seem like um, this is Connery just getting back at uh, Broccoli and Saltzman, perhaps. And there is that famous interview where he co- what he calls Broccoli the biggest villain or something in Bond or mm-hmm. something like that. So Connery really just like, what else has he got? He's got nothing else to do. He may as well do another Bond film that pisses off everyone else he ever worked with. Um, so, yeah, there's McClory trying to piss them off, Connery trying to piss them off, and eventually they, they did get the rights. Um, he could only produce Thunderball, but within that limit of Thunderball, he could do have the characters of James Bond and of M and Moneypenny who were all belonged in the novel for Thunderball. So he did have limits as to what this film could do. But it's still a James Bond film. It stars freaking Sean Connery as James Bond 007. So um, I don't know. Do you guys have any more of the kind of background about this film? And, of course, you can listen to our Thunderball and Octopussy episodes for more information on this Battle of the Bonds saga. I, there's a couple of bits that I, I found interesting I read. But just before that... Um, it's, it's fascinating with Sean Connery. For somebody who, after a certain period, just kind of puts it out there that he just was so over James Bond and it's something that he seems to just really want to put in his past, he's played James Bond in every single decade since the 1960s, except for the 1990s, if you include the video game and the current decade. So, like, it's, 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 <laughs> it's interesting to think that. But, um, yeah, look... You can say it's a James Bond film, but I still don't buy it. Like, to me, it's like if you order a can of Coke from a restaurant, and they bring you a can of Coke with Coke insignia all over the can, and here's a can but of Coke. But it's L.A.I. And it's L.A.I., exactly. Like, it's 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 they can pass it off as Coke. They can... Yeah, but James Bond is more than just the Eon film series. Oh, well, it's a books, and it's a comics, and it's toys, and it's everything. But I think there's an element of officiality to that. In that element, then fan fiction of James Bond on the internet is also James no. Bond, or, you know, the Star Wars universe i could produce a a, a fan-made film and that's star wars i think it's got to be the official 
canon and official production company to make it. But it's an adaptation it. of a Bond novel. But then if that's the case, and anybody can make a James Bond film. I just, I don't, I don't buy it. I can see your oh, argument. No. I don't buy it. I, I just, I can't see it. And I mean, the things that I sort of was learning a little bit about was that um, they apparently. If Connery wasn't available, they were trying to get Lazenby. I read a little thing about that to see if uh, Lazenby would come back and do this one. And then, oh, when, that would have been amazing. This well, film would have been awesome. I would have absolutely loved the shit out of it if that was the case. And then they were trying to make a, another one, I think, in the nineties. Um, oh yeah, we'll touch on Warhead with Dalton. Um, but anyway, but uh, the one thing that I found interesting actually about um, sort of the rights and what they could and couldn't use. What I'm reading here, McClory claimed he apparently owned the rights for. Spectre and the Octopus Signature, the characters of Blofeld, Domino, Fatima Blush, uh, Fiona Volpe, um, Bond against the hijack of an A-bomb, James Bond fighting Sicilian Mafia, the Shrublands Health Clinic, Bahamas Location, a yacht with a hidden hydrofoil and a rocket-firing motorbike, whilst Eon owned the rights for the theme, the logo, plus a bunch of characters and situations, and the things that they could both use were uh, using James Bond, uh, Casino Gambling, M, Q, Penny, Felix, and the Aston Martin DB5. So that's according to this thing I'm reading on IMDb. So they pretty much had the rights to everything. <laughs> pretty much, except yeah. they couldn't use the theme or the logo. Um, but, yeah, I mean, other than that, I don't have a whole lot to add. Uh, I, I, it was interesting that Connery, I believe, was a little bit involved in the production of this film as well. So I think that was a key part of uh, why he wanted to to be involved in this, as well as sticking it up the broccoli. Well, he picked Irving Kirsch. Well, yeah, exactly. And just, just on that, Colin, was a very interesting point you made there about the fact that, you know, everyone gives him credit for The Empire Strikes Back. Maybe that just goes to show how great of a film The Empire Strikes Back is if the worst director in the history of movies can direct it and it's still considered a classic. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and you're right. I mean, Sean Connery was very involved in this movie all the way from the beginning. I mean, the, the rights that Kevin McClory had was that he was allowed to produce Thunderball. They kind of struck the deal back at Thunderball, which said, you know, you can produce this movie and we'll kind of executive produce it, Broccoli and Saltzman. Um, and that after 10 years had passed, McClory would have the rights to remake it. So basically ever since 1975, McClory had been working on this and Sean Carney was there with him the whole time, which really, as we both said, it came down to just McConery wanted to stick it to Broccoli and Saltzman. You know, he it was it was all about... Uh, his feud with them, and I don't think he ever cared about James Bond, but there were even rumors, I remember back in the late 90s, early 2000s, that they were going to attempt another remake of Thunderball, and Connery was going to be allowed to direct it this time. I mean, <laughs> it went on forever. Right. Action. Uh, <laughs> the, the other thing that I found interesting, um, again, is McClory has very little involvement in this movie. I mean, he's an executive producer, but he pretty much handed over everything with this movie by the time it got made maybe that's because it took eight years to make but he continued to fight in lawsuits and everything all the way up and it's just we're really never going to say anything good about kevin mcclory and um i mean he's obviously he's not with us anymore and you know we don't want to trash him to trash the dead here but <laughs> yes we do it's mcclory it was basically well, he killed fleming so. <laughs> it was <laughs> It was basically, you know, he was opportunistic. He spent his entire life fighting for these rights to something that he didn't really ever have a passion for. And I think that really shows in this movie. Yeah. Um, and uh, as I said before, maybe we'll touch on Warhead 2000 later, but <laughs> probably not. Um, 
So I guess we'll talk about this film. I think it will be a little bit different to the other ones we've done just based on the fact that this is Thunderball. If you want to hear our thoughts on the plot of this film, then go back and listen to episode four or whatever it was. Uh, So maybe we'll talk more just about what works, what didn't work, um, the similarities between the two films and then other funny moments, more so than the actual plot because... Yeah, as I said, there's not too much variation, although we can point out the variations uh, through it. But I guess we should just jump into it then. We're kind of given a bit of background to it. Um, well, I guess the other thing I should point out, maybe, Ben, you want to touch on this uh, box office, but uh, this lost the Battle of the Bonds, but this was not a failure, this film. This film did, surprise, well, not surprisingly, this film did do well. It didn't beat Octopussy, but it still performed well. Um so it's kind of been forgotten since. But anyway, um, so we might as well talk about not really the pre-title sequence. I guess it's the title sequence. Um, I'm pretty sure I read somewhere that they couldn't do a title sequence as in a traditional like Maury Spinder title sequence. Um, I don't know how true that is, but I think I've read that somewhere that that was a part of the Eon stuff too. And obviously they couldn't do the gun barrel. Uh, so the alternative to the gun barrel is lots and lots and lots and lots of 007s on the screen, uh, followed by the title song, which we'll talk about in a minute, um, and some location footage. Um, and then I guess this is the pre-title sequence worked into the title sequence, which I'm going to defend. I think this kind of intro bit is probably the best part of the film and then it just goes downhill from there um if they couldn't use a pre-title and a title sequence i think that was a clever way to get around it to have the title song over a kind of pre-title thing and i actually kind of like this sequence of this like south american base of bond sneaking into and then jumping in with machine gun shooting up these people i think it's a quite a cool action sequence um and then to end it off bond is stabbed um by the person who betrayed him this isn't in the novel so this is their alternative to a a pre-title sequence as in the jetpack um i I like the sequence i'm gonna say i think it's cool action and i wish it went on for longer you could make 15 minutes out of this south american thing like i want to watch whatever this film is show me this film don't show me never say never again as for the song, um, never, never said. Oh. Um, I'm trying to. Who even sung the song? Lani Hall. Oh, the famous Lani Hall. <laughs> yeah, um, when your Wikipedia page says when you she's best known for her rendition of the theme song to the 1983 James Bond film <laughs> "Never Say Never Again," you know she's had a pretty good career. It's a bad song. It is a really bad song. Um, like imagine this scene with a cool like upbeat like electric guitar kind of rock song or something it would work really well this song is written bad it's sung bad it's produced bad everything about this although it gets stuck in your head because it's so damn stupid never never say never again uh but i'm gonna put on the record i like this title sequence of having the song and the thing with the action uh what do you think about it, Ben, to kick off the film? You walk in a room, a woman can feel the heat. One look is a guarantee. <laughs> Nights could be long and sweet. 
What the fuck even is that? Like, what? <laughs> Come on. We're an old time. <laughs> oh, my God. Like, like, oh, this is, I mean, again, you can say it's a James Bond film as much as you want. We've got fucking logos of 007 on the screen and there's a montage with some woman screaming over the top of Grandpa Connery running through the jungle, throwing flashbangs and then getting stabbed by some woman tied up. I mean, no. This, no look, calm down, man. I'm going to be yelling a lot in this episode. Um... Yeah, look, I can see that it's for an action film or something, it would have its moments, but it's just, with the music playing over the top, it's just cheese, it's just, it's, I can't stomach it, like, do this scene without the music over it, and with some tense music and some tense score going on in the background, maybe it's a little bit better, but the fact that we've got, never say never again, never, playing over the fact that he's blowing up people and all this sort of stuff, it just, I can't, I can't take it seriously, and this is really the first part of the film where just Connor in... Like, a big problem I have with this film is, is Connery. Like, not just because he looks old. He looks just lost. He looks so out of place in this film. I just think that it just... It really ruins it for me. And I think it honestly ruins a bit of Connery's legacy as Bond for me. Because he's doing this as James Bond. He's got no charisma as James Bond in this film. He honestly comes across as an old James Bond who is just sad and pathetic trying to be the same as he was. And I just think at the, the start of this, it really really shows and then you know i know it's sort of a training situation when he gets stabbed but that whole bit there when he's like rescued her and then gets stabbed sums it up for me james bond he's past his prime go back to the retirement home and just stop trying to be cool again and that just is just the entire movie for me in that one scene pretty much so yeah no not a big fan of the song meh i've got nothing to add that you did already add on there um i would i'm going to go out and say give me um all-time high over this crap <laughs> yeah all-time high is um an all-time high in james bond themes compared to this this is <laughs> awful um and the song does kill this i don't know what they were thinking i mentioned at the end of the last episode that the first time i watched this movie i wasn't aware this wasn't a canon film i was sort of just going to the video store and picking whatever bond movies i could find and i happened to see wow sean connery came back in the 80s apparently and did bond so there was so much disappointment the second that i saw that whole 007 thing and heard this song i knew that there wasn't something that was right about this movie and you said ben that it's like it's it tarnishes his legacy and it's not that diamonds are forever was really connery at his best or he only lived twice was connery his best but here even though he's not really bad in any way it it feels like he's making like you said a fan fiction film like this this doesn't belong in a james bond movie it was like somebody just had an idea what would it be like if he changed this about thunderball you know uh and the opening credits it's just for me i don't think this is a good action scene i think this is out of place for bond because bond is not rambo you know bond isn't chuck norris in the middle of some jungle firing a machine gun bond oh, is we haven't stealth. got to the brosnan films yeah yeah well it's he's supposed to be stealth he's supposed to be a spy and i don't know why he would ever be going through a jungle you know shooting guys with machine guns and there's even the moment where he sets off a flashbang grenade and these guys that he's apparently killing they're not even facing the explosion and they're covering their eyes screaming a split second before it even goes off. It is so poorly choreographed. <laughs> it's like even this is why it comes across like a fan film because 
there are just little mistakes in the action scenes that just totally take care of the movie. And I don't think it really belongs in James Bond to have him in the jungles like he's Chuck Norris or, you know, John Rambo. I just, I don't care for the opening sequence at all. Well, we're off to a good start if the one scene that I said was quite good uh, got this reception. So the scenes that I think are bad, um, kind of scared. Uh, I have to disagree. I don't think this ruins Connery's legacy. I don't think people look at this, oh, Connery did that. Um, I think still Connery has the legacy of he's the best James Bond. Um, I don't think people view this as a big downer. I think people just don't. I think a lot of people haven't even seen this, even big James Bond fans, as you hadn't until... Keep it that way, people, if you're listening to this. Keep it that way. Don't watch it. (laughs) Yeah, this is not a good episode to listen to if you've never seen the film, because it's not going to help the (laughs) case much. Um, Yeah, so I I don't think it ruins Connery's legacy at all. That's just my opinion. Um, Let's talk about the old gang or the new gang. Uh, Back at MI6, M. Um, <laughs> apparently, he's a new M that's actually in the script. Um, played by the famous Edward Fox, that renowned actor. <laughs> um, at oh, Money Penny, played by the esteemed Pamela Salem. Um, so we've got M, and we've got, as I'm calling her after Granny Penny, Youngy Penny. Um, <laughs> M and Youngie Penny, I guess there's not much to talk about with the scene, but what do we think about... <laughs> Why are we doing this episode? <laughs> what do we think of the MI6 gang? And I'm going to say both of them suck. M is, like, younger than Bond. What is this, like, Q in Spectre? Um, like, M, I swear, is much younger and has no screen presence and... Youngy Penny is probably gets less to do than Lois Maxwell does in the later more films. Um, surely, if you're going to make a competing film, you're going to want to get a strong cast on board for this. Well, I mean that that's exactly it. And uh, just M is just angry and and extra British and like you know the, the relationship between M and Bond is you know. It's very, it's sarcastic. It's sort of like, you know, oh, grow up, double, not quite Q, but you know what I mean? Like, it's it's kind of that rapport there that he respects M, but, you know, M's always kind of, you know, a bit, like, dismissive of Bond, but, you know, they still obviously ultimately respect each other and what they do. There's nothing, there's nothing there with this. This is just young M has taken over. He's like an up-and-coming posh high school rich kid who's super high on life and wants to be the best in the world. Um, and he's just a cunt to fucking Bond and, like, everybody there. He's, there's nothing redeeming about this M at all. And and Money Penny, like, part of the, the joy of Money Penny and Bond is there's a bit of sexual tension there. There's a bit of, like, oh, James, oh, Money Penny, you know, we'd be banging each other if it wasn't for this and that and that. There's nothing there. Like, Money Penny's just a random girl. Oh, yes, go go in there. And, like, there's no playfulness to Connery and anything with this and like you know I'm, I'm so used to seeing Lois Maxwell and Granny Penny that you know I, I don't care if Lois Maxwell is 97 in the next Bond movie if she was still alive or whatever like I'd rather see her as super super Granny Penny than this random woman who great granny. who <laughs> great Granny Penny who is just is nothing nothing at all so 
yeah, that that's about it. And sorry for saying the C word if that offended anybody. <laughs> um, the other thing that really doesn't work here, and I think M's a bit of a different story because his age is a problem only because this M has so much authority over Bond from what you're getting. He's always angry, and it would work with an older actor. Um, getting a young guy to do it, it just doesn't make sense. With Money Penny, that's the real problem for me because the whole thing with the Bond and Money Penny relationship, like you said, is there's supposed to be some flirtation that really doesn't exist here. Her scene is not only only like you know a minute long; it's all done in one shot. I mean, <laughs> there's no purpose for her to be in this movie other than the fact that they're like, well, we have to put Money Penny in there, and the Money Penny Bond relationship does need some context, even if it is mystery. If you go back to Doctor No. They have the same amount of screen time that this Bond and Money Penny have, but you get the impression that there is a history between them. You don't have any of that here. And if you're going to make a movie and have it be separate from the other James Bond movies, and I don't think that Kirshner and uh, um, McClory or anybody really wanted people to think, okay, we want them to think this is a sequel to James Bond. They wanted to almost be its own universe, what they were hoping to build then you need context for a relationship with characters. And it just feels like the only reason Money Penny's here is because they had to include Money Penny. I just I would have rather they kept her out entirely and just put some random character in there. Well, yeah. Um I'll be interested to see uh in a few films whether we view her or the Barry Manilow Money Penny as I call her. Um see how we think of her, but we'll get to that. Um yeah, so much the same as Thunderball, Bond has to go to a retreat, um, which I think is done better in this film because it at least makes sense. He's an old fogey. It makes sense that he needs to get into shape, and that's one thing that where the age plays into it. While Thunderbolt was just like, oh, he's on holiday here or whatever. So I think that works quite well. Not that it's a huge uh, plus in the film, but it's there. Uh, we'll take anything we can get. Um We'll talk about the Spectre crew in a bit, but let's just talk about this retreat scene. Uh, there's not a whole lot here. One thing I do like is that it's shorter than Thunderball. That's a huge plus. It's probably only five to ten minutes. Thunderball was like almost 20 minutes. So that's a, a good thing. Um, uh, we have our Patricia Fearing. Can't even remember what she looks like. Watched it yesterday. Uh, very memorable. Um, introduced to Jack Batacci, who is Domino's uh, brother, and they're actually keeping the original names from the novel compared to... Pretty sure it was Domino Batacci in the novel, not Duval. Duval, is that? Yeah, that's her last name, right? Um, Duval, yeah. Yeah. So they're keeping that. This film does, in a lot of places... Uh, pay closer attention to the book than Thunderbolt the film does uh, although Thunderbolt is quite close too but we've got this retreat scene it's Bond there with Patricia and then a big fight scene which I actually like the fight scene in some bits um, not a lot I do think the weights even though it's dumb is a lot better than the motorised traction machine which is one of the most cringeworthy moments in Bond history um, so I'd rather him have weight chucked onto him. We've gotten rid of the weird box thing that Connery locked that guy in in Thunderball. That's gone. Um, so there are some positives here compared to the Thunderball film. And the fight through the whole building is actually quite cool, even though Connery is such an old man, like, where's his walking stick? But then the death scene. Um, death by piss. 
<laughs> James Bond throws his own urine on the bad guy to kill the bad guy. Um, this could have been a pretty good scene had it ended with Bond stabbing the guy with a needle or whatever. And you have to think, this is their attempt at humour. Was anyone in 1983 in the cinema cracking up at James Bond throwing his own urine to kill? Like, how many STDs were in that urine to kill that guy? Um, it's just... Oh, that's the worst moment of the film. I do not understand why they thought that was a good idea. Like, it's not a bad fight scene, I don't think. And it could have ended quite well, but... Yeah, what the hell? Death by Pierce. Uh, so this entire this entire retreat scene, and we'll talk about Spectre in a minute. I just think that Warhead, if that had got made, he would have killed him with a turd. Like, it's, you know, it's... <laughs> a jab at the hut, too. I don't want to rewind the scene to even think that that's what he killed him, basically. I mean, I was, hang on a minute. No, he did not just do that, did he? Oh, my God, he did. Um, like, I mean, that harks back to... What were they thinking? The opening of it when it's like, can you feel this beaker for me? I mean, that was bad enough. Like, oh, James Bond has to take a leak in a beaker. What possibly could get worse than that? Oh, wait. He has to kill someone, basically, with his own piss. Um, I mean, the the one thing, I guess, with Bond being old, compared to more where it's just accepted that he's old, um, at least in this, they try and make it out like, well, okay, he's old. You need to go and, like, eat your healthy food and go to this clinic and do this and do that. Um, but it just, it's... It's just ridiculous because you're basically seeing, like, old man Bond getting a, a checkup from his local GP and still trying to be a little bit flirty, you know. Like, I mean, I, I honestly think Connery looks a lot better and more attractive when he's got the grey hair and the grey goatee than he does in this film. There's just there's just something with him in this film that just really just... I can't... I just can't stomach. And I'm not even swing that way. The fight... I, I think it's too long. It's I mean, that's when I first messaged you guys saying, like, this movie's shit. And, like, I sort of kept looking up, down, looked up, down, and the fight was still going. Like, it just went on and I on. I like the and, fact that it's extended. Uh, I don't. It just it just drags on too much. And the whole time I'm going, who is this guy? Why is he going after? Like, what the, what context is this for Bond just all of a sudden getting bashed by a random ranger man? And uh, it's just... I just, yeah, too long. And the music, and I just point out the music in this film, not just bloody Never Say Never Again, but the score and just in general, it's horrible. Like, it's, I, mm. I've been collecting all the James Bond soundtracks and I was going to get this one just to make sure that it's up there. I'm not anymore. Like, this is just shit. <laughs> no way am I spending money on the soundtrack <laughs> to this film. Um, but yeah, I've got nothing really, look, I think, you, again, you can sum this entire movie up with the fact that James Bond kills somebody with his own piss. Like, that's Never Say Never Again. There are so many moments in this film where you say it. Hey, guys, you want to watch Never Say Never Again? Oh, he kills someone with his own piss. Okay, I'll pass. Thank you. Um, just a little bit of context. Uh, we didn't mention at the beginning, but uh, Irvin Kershner directed this. Uh, this movie was written by the man behind the 1960s Batman TV series, the Adam <laughs> West Batman TV series. <laughs> Like, this is probably the most respectable <laughs> thing he ever made. Bond. Zach. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Bang. I wish that it had had a bit of that humor because there are a couple of funny lines throughout this movie here and there. Um, you know, when they're asking for the urine sample in the first place and they're like, oh, it's for your urine sample. And Bond just looks like from here. Like, <laughs> you want me to go from here? Um 
little bit funny, but this movie could have used a bit of campiness, I think. And I don't know why it's trying to take itself so seriously. I don't think that the whole clinic spa, whatever it is, works better than Thunderball because I think Thunderball at least had a fun energy to it. And that was probably a result of the fact that Bond wasn't really going through rehab, as we said in the book. He's basically rehab because he's in such bad shape. Uh, but it at least properly explained things and you had a real setup with, you know, Domino's brother there. And, uh, you had a little bit more of a, a build to the relationship with Bond and Patricia. And here he just opens up a suitcase and it has all this food sitting there. I'm thinking like, how long has that food been rotting in that suitcase? <laughs> Those practice like, would be stale. <laughs> yeah, like that's disgusting. I don't know why they thought this would... I don't oh, want suitcase really pate. Cool. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the movie's kind of just lacking class in so many areas, but it's presenting itself as such a classy movie. I mean, there's talk of urine samples, herbal enemas, and Bond's got a suitcase full of moldy food. And then there's a love scene. I don't get it. And then this fight, which... There are some fun parts of the fight, I'll give you that, but it is really hard to watch James Bond, where even you could tell Sean Connery is having issues, because this isn't just they're treating as a fight as an older Bond. No matter where Bond is thrown in this fight, or gets pushed down or knocked off his feet, there are always gym mats underneath him. I don't know if you guys noticed that, no. but no matter where he's falling, there's gym mats. And that was clearly just, well, Connery can't take a fall of his age. His knees can't take the, the hit. So there's just random gym mats all over the place, and they don't even cut it out of the shot. And then there's this henchman, which, you know, it's cool, like, big, tough henchman. But for whatever reason, he's he's screaming like he's Arnold Schwarzenegger. Like, it's like it sounded like Total Recall, where Schwarzenegger's head's exploding. I didn't understand why this guy's giving these Schwarzenegger battle cries. And it's like, the movie's just ridiculous without intending to be. <laughs> yeah. And then death by piss. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit about Spectre. Spectre? Spectre. Um, which is kind of cool that we get to talk about Spectre one more time before um, Spectre yeah. comes out. Spectre, Spectre. Yeah, Spectre. Um... Although by the time someone's r listening to this, Spectre's probably already come out. Spectre, Spectre. Ah, oh, stop me. Uh, <laughs> this is how we're going to stretch into three hour episodes. Yeah. <laughs> Just, <laughs> Spectre, 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 Spectre. Spectre. Can't, can't get out of it. Um, so, because it's around here we're introduced to Fatima Blush, <laughs> um, which uh, maybe Ben will touch on what he thought it was like. But. Um, She's our alternative to Fiona Volpe. I have to say, I think Fatima Blush works in this film. She's no Fiona Volpe, but as a femme fatale henchwoman, she looks the part. She has some cool stuff to do. She's always lurking around the thing. It's not like she's a groundbreaking henchwoman, but uh, she's better than Vargas. Um, so I actually think Fatima Blush is a net positive for Never Say Never Again. Um and then we're also introduced to uh, Blofeld, who is, yes, Blofeld's back, played by Max von Sydow. Still got all the ash from the sweepstack chimney um, on him. But uh, And then I oh, should say Barbara Carrera, the famous Barbara Carrera, played Fatima Blush. Um, and then there's the Spectre meeting, which remember back to the one in Thunderball with the 
uh, Blofeld hidden behind the thing, and then there was like, electric chairs in this secret base. Well, this time we've got an old fogies like <laughs> chairs and a few like. Did you bring the biscuits and crackers to the meeting? Like, <laughs> it's really it's old women and like big random chairs. It's like they just filmed it in the Bahamas in a in an available room in the casino or something. It's really nothing, but. I have to say, and maybe we'll talk more about it later, I'm not sure, probably not, but I think Fatima Blush is a positive for this film. And Blofeld, I think he's better than Charles Gray Blofeld in in some aspects. And I feel, I I was almost getting uh, Christoph Waltz vibes, almost like a homeless man's Christoph Waltz. Um, Not that I'm saying he's Blofeld, we're about a week away from the film at the time of recording. Um... If he had more to do, and maybe if he was the main villain, I think this Blofeld could have worked. He had potential, but it kind of falls flat. Uh, but yeah, Blofeld, Fatima Blush, and the Spectre meeting room, which oh, they do not look terrifying, Spectre, in this universe. It's uh, it's just a, a fly on the wall into the Spectre Country Women's Association branch. Um, bring the biscuits, Doris. Oh, here you go, Mildred. Um yeah, look, um, can I just quickly correct you there, Noah, when you say esteemed actress Barbara Carrera, Golden Globe nominated Barbara Carrera, thank you very much. Nominee. She actually was nominated for a Golden Globe for this film, um, for her role as Fatima oh, Bush. For this film? Yeah, for this film. Like, this is, I think, the only James <laughs> Bond movie to have an actor nominated for a Golden Globe for their role. Somebody can correct me if I if there's somebody else out there that was nominated for their role, but yeah. She was nominated for a Golden Globe for this. Lost a share. I love uh, Barbara Carrera's Wikipedia where they don't even have a photo of her. <laughs> they have an illustration of Carrera. <laughs> <laughs> Very old school, Barbara. Um, yeah, I honestly thought her name was Fatima Bush. Like, I honestly... like I mean, that's, a, that's a Bond-sounding name. Like, what? It should have been. That, that would have actually been quite good. Like, you know, maybe put it a notch or two up there because, you know, there's no worse than Holly Goodhead. Like, you know... Um, yeah, I, I agree with you. Probably the, the two bits in this film that I like is Barbara's Fatima, and uh, I also really enjoy Largo. I think Klaus as Largo <laughs> is probably the better did Largo. Did I hear you correctly? What, what, what did I say? Did you say you like the Largo in this film? Oh, yeah, what's wrong with the Largo? In no, the we'll film? get to that then. Okay, well, fair enough. I'm uh, disappointed, actually, that there was no Vargas in this film. Like, why is this? <laughs> <laughs> Vargas was robbed. Vargas was robbed. Um, yeah, I just, there's just something about Fatima's character. Like, she's just, she's evil. She's sadistic. And that's the type of villain I like. And, I mean, yeah, I agree with you. I think she she's that sort of three-quarters one that I said I liked before because there are some bits about her that is not brilliant. Um, I, I'm, I'm not on you there with the Blofeld. I think he's a shit Blofeld. And I don't see why he's even... Why is he in this film? Like, is it just so that um, McClory could be like, ha look at this, I use Blofeld, sucked in. Like, he's in well, it for, this like, is kind scenes. of Blofeld's role in Thunderball. He is the kind of, like, behind-the-shadows type thing where... Where we don't quite know who Blofeld is at this point. He's and then in On Majesty's Secret Service, it comes into more play. So I guess that's why they're staying true to the book. True, but I, they could have done like he, he had no. I don't think he had a purpose really in this film. He's not even number one. What is he, Supreme Being of Spectre or whatever <laughs> it's called? Like 
they don't even keep him as number one. So, yeah, this, I, I don't like him. I think it's useless. And, I mean, this whole scene, like, they, they've got a video call. They've got, like, perfect clarity Skype in 1983. So, um, and I, it's almost like a live TV cross because he's kind of there, like, smiling and waiting. I'm just expecting him to be like... Thanks, Blofeld. I'm just out here on my boat right now. The temperatures are about 37 degrees. Perfect weather for stealing nuclear bombs. Uh, well, this we'll was an opportunity you. for some of that camp funniness. They could have put some jokes in here of, like, the connection not working or something like that. <laughs> Sorry, say that again. What did you say? Blow <laughs> yeah. up Miami. No, no. <laughs> but, it's, yeah, it's, I, I agree with that. And I agree with kind of what Colin was saying before about, like, taking it so seriously. Uh, I mean, look, I rip shit into Moonraker, but, I mean, Moonraker is an Academy Award-winning masterpiece compared to this film because like you know this this just it's everything so cardboard and wooden about everybody in this film except for maybe like two people and that's just where they need some humor they need some something else going on with it but yeah this scene just doesn't really work for me except for the abilities of our golden globe nominee barbara um the interesting thing I found with the webcam, uh, it's inside of a skull and it follows the cat wherever the cat goes, which again, <laughs> I don't know why Blofeld's doing a video call when his face isn't on the video. It, this movie's backwards for no reason. You said Blofeld has no reason to be in this movie. Blofeld's purpose was to be a tease in the original, so they didn't show his face. Here you see his face in the room and in the scene, but the people listening to him on the other side of the video don't see his face. I don't understand the reasoning behind that. It doesn't make any sense. We already see his face. And you have Max von Sydow here, who's a legendary actor. I mean, this is as if this this is the equivalent of getting a like Javier Bardem now, you know? He was in the Exorcist. He was Academy Award nominated for the Exorcist. He had played Jesus Christ before. And here you have him as Blofeld. Why don't you use him? Make him a bigger villain. Make him a bigger part of the story. He's just sitting in the the gentleman's club here, like you said, with the tea and biscuits. <laughs> and this weird webcam is only following his cat around because the first time you see the webcam, the point of view of the webcam, it's filming the cat on his lap. Then at the end of the conversation, the cat is sitting somewhere else in the room and the camera's still on it. So it's like this webcam just trained to follow this cat around. Like <laughs> at some point are these, you know, other members of the Spectre are going to be getting their instructions and they're watching Bluffo's cat licking its balls somewhere else in the room. Like, <laughs> I don't understand why it's just following the cat around. It doesn't make any sense to I've me. I've always thought the cat was a, a, a female cat. <laughs> <laughs> Looking its fat in a bush. I don't know. <laughs> well, it is um, good to get some pussy in this film anyway, regardless. Um, I'm going to say I wish that there had been more Blofeld because, again, Max von Sydow is the type of guy who could really pull this off. But he has nothing to do here. Um Fatima Blush, <laughs> we've already changed her name. I was almost slipping there. Um, <laughs> Fatima Blush, it, it's funny that she's included in this movie too because she wasn't part of the novel Thunderball, so we would assume she wasn't part of the original screenplay that Kevin McClory worked on. Um, this is clearly just another attempt to let's take something that worked in Thunderball and do it. She's not better than Fiona Volpe. Bol- Fiona Volpe Bol- is one of the greatest henchwomen of all time. Um, but there is something about about Barbara Carrera that does work in this role, and I can almost see how she got a Golden Globe nomination. And the funny thing is, it's not because she's that great in the movie. It's that she's the only one that understands there needs to be a level of camp in this. You know, we'll get into it a little bit later on in some of her other scenes. She is very over the top in this movie, and it works. And I don't know if either of you have seen this movie, nor do I recommend you watch it if you haven't. But 
Uh, Ridley Scott, who made you know, Alien and Gladiator and Black Hawk Down, uh, he made a movie called The Counselor a couple of years ago that had like this all-star cast in it. And it was just such a boring movie, like literally one of the most boring movies you've ever seen. You had like Michael Fassbender in it and uh, Javier Bardem was in it, uh, Brad Pitt. And Cameron Diaz was near Oscar-worthy in this movie. And she had sex with the hood of a car. <laughs> and that was basically what she did in the movie. And it, the reason she was great in the movie was I because need to watch she this seemed movie. to understand. <laughs> you should, even just to watch her scenes. Because she understood she was in a bad movie and that it needed a bit of cam to improve it. And that's what Barbara Carrera gives this movie. She gives it that extra level of camp and over-the-topness that I think a lot of this movie really needed. Um, I'll defend her throughout this entire movie and she's not as good as Fiona Volpe but she really is the best thing about this movie for the most part um, well I guess not long after this we are introduced to other major characters but then before that we have Bond getting told off by M what's new um, and then we have the stolen missiles um, which and then uh, Fatima killing some people, which not quite as good as Fiona Volpe's rocket launcher uh, bike, um, or Patricia Fearing, as we uh, thought. Uh, flashback to Thunderball. <laughs> I I don't know if we actually want to talk about. It. We have Blofeld telling the good guys the plan, and we kind of touched on that. But do we want to talk about the missile scene? I actually think, in some aspects, not all aspects. I think it's better because Thunderbolt had like a 10-minute scene of Spectre agents swimming underwater, putting a net on the thing. It's like probably the slowest scene in Bond history. This, while it's not great and there's some bad missile special effects, this at least they get it over and done with. It's not just on and on and on. Um, we've got a weird like laser eye thingy instead of um, like the disguise Thing, which was a mess in Thunderball. I'm not sure if I got anything. It's not a huge part, but it is a part that's in Thunderball. And I think in some aspects it is done better here just because they don't spend so much time on it. Yeah, I agree with you that it's not as dragged out as Thunderball. I'll give it that. But these missiles flying over the land. <laughs> like the bit where they fly over bad. the beach and like those two boys on the beach. I mean, these are like supersonic missiles that are like... <laughs> And, like, these boys don't even flinch. Like, what the fuck are these boys... Are they deaf? Is this, like, deaf camp for kids at the, the building sandcastles? And, oh, just... I mean, everything about that is, you know... And, and then the, the whole bit with the eye print and, you know, the, the president, like, you need to scan it in, otherwise, you know, we will want... Like, is there not some sort of alert system that maybe people in the control room it was like, oh, the president just signed in and took out two nuclear bombs. Oh, Mr. President's here. And Mr. Reagan's here, everybody. Like, everybody, your best behaviour. Like, no, that's just perfectly normal. <laughs> like, it's... And what is with the well, president's eye? I couldn't Why tell so if big? they meant the president of the United States or did they mean the president of... NATO or something. I couldn't quite work that out. That's a good call. That, that's true. I mean, he had a very big I don't know the eye. answer, but... It was huge. Whatever was wrong with his eye. Um, <laughs> uh, well, maybe it's <laughs> what was wrong with Largo in Thunderball, why he needed an eye patch. So it's May, like hey, big there you eye. go. Maybe, maybe that you just case solved of it. Big eye. Um, yeah, I don't really have anything. The only, I mean, we had is this incorporating the crash bit with the snake... Um, uh, throwing oh, the God. snake in the car and blows it up with a bomb and 
you know, evil, sadistic, Fatima Bush. But, um, yeah, no, I've really got nothing much to add on what I've just said. Um, yeah, I guess we, we should include the, that scene as well. Not that I have a lot to add, but just the fact that she throws a snake in his car when she has a detonator for it. Just, again, one of those things is just, <laughs> you can forgive plot holes in Bond movies, but why does she throw the snake in there when she has a detonator to explode the entire car that could um, backfire easily snake uh, the old snaking car tree well there's lots of dead well, animals I in this that movie too. <laughs> i put in my notes like what if it had been a friendly snake or what if bond <laughs> wasn't afraid of snakes? what if bond was like oh how cute look at this snake like <laughs> this plan just falls apart instantly which is why i guess the detonator is the backup just in case he falls in love with the snake um <laughs> wouldn't surprise me in this oh let's have it let's have sex snakey <laughs> Connor gets it oh, off. That's snake. a long snake. Uh, oh, Berber. I don't think that this is done better than Thunderball for the stealing of the missiles. Because did it go on a little bit long in Thunderball? Yes. But we had interesting underwater photography. <laughs> it was good visually. Yeah, well, it, it looked good uh, visually. Yeah, it, it was good visually. I'll give it. And the plot made more sense. Um, why is Domino's brother in this movie? Why did they go to the links to have a guy become an exact duplicate of Domino's brother when him stealing this has nothing to do with him being Domino's brother. He becomes her and then he puts on a contact lens that has him duplicate the president of whatever, you know, NATO or the United States. (laughs) Kazakhstan. There's no need for him to just not become the president. If you can make him become another person, just have him become the president. Like, the domino's brother does not matter to this plot the way that he was set up properly in thunderball and i think that this whole thing is not just bad effects with the missiles but every single shot is just from the point of view of the missile like if you're going to show all this aerial photography it could look good but give us some variety i don't just want (laughs) to see it piggybacking on the back of the missile the whole time was the (laughs) same freaking shot over and over again i I actually wrote my note enough with the pov missile shots already um (laughs) Oh. Yeah, I I don't really uh, it's funny because I said I was I was going to be a little bit nicer than Ben, but I feel like I'm I'm ripping this to pieces already. But Good boy. Colin. Yeah, I I don't really see I don't really see a lot of value in anything that we're seeing here. It's just it's all like you're remaking Thunderball, but you don't want to put the effort into making it interesting. If you know how you see let's say you see a remake first and you're like, "Wow, that was big." And then you go back and watch the original and you're like, uh, some of those scenes were kind of unimpressive, but you understand it's because it was 20 years earlier. This is 20 years later. <laughs> Give us better than bad rear screen projection from the point of view of a missile. I guess this is typical remake of a film, though. Like, we shouldn't be surprised. Most remakes do end up like this. Um, I guess the one reason Jack Batachi is in there is because of the book, but you're right, it doesn't serve the same purpose as it should of he killed my brother, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, point of view missiles. Um, After that, I guess we should talk about the other two big characters in this film. Uh, We have, like, this porno music playing while um, Domino dances slash exercises <laughs> slash zumbas or something with Largo looking very creepily on while she does whatever she's doing. Um, you said you liked Largo. I, I wasn't big on Largo in Thunderball. This Largo is like the creepy old uncle at the party or something. Um, 
And if this was an official Bond film, I think we would be putting him at the bottom. He doesn't look like a villain. He doesn't really do anything too villainous. And it just looks like, oh, there's creepy old Maximilian uh, uncle. Um, oh, I really don't like him. He just looks like a, um, like a failed actor who's trying to make it in Hollywood or something. Um, we should talk about the esteemed Klaus... Maria Brandilla um, as a Maximil- Maximilian Lago instead of Emilia. Emilio. Um, yeah. Emilio? <laughs> I don't think Lago is good at all in this film, although um, I'm definitely interested in hearing uh, your reasonings, Ben, because that would be interesting. Um, I don't think it's a positive towards this film. I think if you're going to do this and if you're going to have the main villain you need to get someone really good if you're competing against Octopussy not that Octopussy had the most amazing villains but yeah Domino I think I remember I was not as big on Domino as you two were this is the worst Bond girl ever like this is horrible like any time you make something American when it's not supposed to be American, you know you're in trouble. Um, it's just she's got no screen parent presence. She's annoying. You don't even feel for her at all. You don't even know when she turns on Largo. She's like a dancer who dances to porn music. <laughs> um, you don't know if she loves him or not. It's just. Oh, what what have we got for Domino? We've got Kim Bassinger. Um, yeah, I guess uh, maybe you two have more to say. Really, I don't have a lot to say on, not even good or bad. I just don't have much to say on Largo and Domino. I think both of them are really negative to the film that could have done better. And don't even do Domino and Largo. Put You've got the Thunderball screenplay, but change the names and have unique characters, like not even change the names and have the same characters. Make new characters within the Thunderball plot. Um, uh, Largo, Creepy Old Uncle, and American Dancing Domino. No thanks. Well, um, I would agree with you on on Domino. I mean, just point out, Kim Basinger, 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 whatever her name is. I mean, she's, she's... Pretty big deal. She she turned into be a very big actress. Yeah. Obviously, Academy Award winning, LA Confidential. Was married to Alec Baldwin for many years. I just remember her in that episode of The Simpsons. Um, yeah, <laughs> when, when Homer falls through their roof and lands in bed with them, skydives into it. Was, right. That was one of my favorite episodes of The Simpsons. Well, not skydives, but um, Billy Baldwin. <laughs> <laughs> Um, what was it? Kite surf scene. Yeah, because he's at the oh, beach. I talk about kite he, bro- Wasn't he? Yeah, wins. Yeah, and he breaks away and he lands into there anyway. Um, yeah. But yeah, she's just for starters the whole you know fitness thing. I mean, this was 1983. Jane Fonda, Olivia Newton John. I mean, you know, keeping up with the times. Let's put in some working out in it. Um, yeah, she's like. I wasn't. Let's get physical. The thing for this. <laughs> Would have been better than what we had, Lani. Um, but no, it's oh, yes. Let's get <laughs> yeah, she's just and like the thing I don't get with her character in this whole film is that we get this first introduction with her and Largo and how in love she's with him and like oh I don't want gifts I just want you and oh how sweet and then by the end of it she's like oh Bond do me like she's just bipolar. <laughs> Blonde woman, um, like that's basically you can summarise her up. And was this her first role, Kim Basinger, or one of her first main roles? Do we know? It was her first major movie. First major. 
teenager movie. And obviously, you know, well, we can forgive her because she went on to do a lot better things. Largo, ah, it's just, I don't know how you can't like him. He's, he's, he's charismatic. He's, he's sadistic. He's, he's fun. He's energetic. Like, I mean, this is a guy, yeah, he's a bit pervy and everything, but in this whole scene when it's all like, you know, oh, I love you. He's a gift and everything. And then we get that line like, oh, what would you do if I left you? Oh, I'd just cut your throat. Like, it's just the way he says it. Like, it's just so like, oh, fuck. You don't want to cross this guy. Um, and compared to Largo in Thunderball, I mean, come on. Like, Sean Connery is a piece of wood in this film, but I think he's got a slight bit more personality and a bit more interesting than Largo in Thunderball. I think we all agreed that in um, Thunderball, he was one of the worst bits about it. Um, I dis- would definitely disagree saying he's one of the worst if this was an official Bond film. I mean, I could easily list him ahead of a heap of, you know, he's better than Stromberg. Like, I love Drax. I'd say he's even better than Oof. Drax. Better than Christatos. Like, I, I, I just don't know how well, you can't love Christatos, him. Well. I don't know how you can't love him. I just, I, this is the one thing about this film that I really do love. I love Largo. I think Klaus plays him fantastically. And I think he's a real sadistic prick. And I could I could put an argument top fifteen Bond villains if this is an unofficial uh, if this is an official Bond film. I enjoyed him that much. Um, I'm kind of in the middle. I- I'm leaning more towards Ben because I do think he's great in this movie. I think the issues with him have more to do with the bad script and the bad direction than him as a bad actor or even a bad character. They do a lot of things right with him in this movie that they missed out on in the Thunderball movie. Um, Largo in Thunderball, the movie, was so forgettable, and it was a major role. We talked about at the time that you have these villains where maybe they don't have a lot of screen time, like Dr. No, and they make this huge presence. At the time that Thunderball came out, Largo probably had more screen time than any other Bond villain that we saw, with the exception of You Only Live Twice, for that entire decade. I mean, he was all over that movie, and yet totally forgettable. Klaus Maria Brando, he, he really gives it his all in this movie. And I don't think it always works, but that's lack of direction. There are times where they're not really sure what type of character he's supposed to be. I think the creepy stuff with him is fantastic. I think that Largo should be creepy. Uh, this thing with him having the, the two-way mirror into her dance studio, uh, <laughs> it's really kind of a ridiculous scene because, I mean... I'm assuming that's put in there because the movie Flashdance, which came out, you know, just before this, they're probably just trying to cash in on Flashdance. As you said, a lot of other dance stuff, Olivia Newton-John at the time. It's such a cash in, but it's the fact that that scene, I would have rather seen him just looking creepy, no expression at all, than to be sitting there smiling, getting into the music as she's dancing. (laughs) It was a little bit ridiculous. But... Other than that, this is what was missing from Thunderball was the idea you get it little subtle things hinting towards the fact that Largo is very protective over Domino um, and possessive and that uh, he, he could just lose it. You know, if, there, we had the one line about Fiona saying, you know, oh, Bond's trying to sleep with your woman or whatever, and he just kind of brushes it off. There's a lot they do right in this movie about his possessive with domino and him being threatened by bond but there are other times where he just seems way too relaxed with bond and i i don't think that works the relationship with bond doesn't work as a villain in this movie the relationship with domino i think works a lot better than it did in thunderball um as for domino this is a complete waste here you have 
a character that was so complex in Ian Fleming's novel, I would argue the most complex female character Ian Fleming ever wrote, so complex and so not, I'm not going to say R-rated in the way most people would be thinking it, but very mature the way the writing was. And they're not the type of thing you could put in a PG movie, a lot of the, the character stuff with her. The reason that her character was kind of muted in Thunderball was because you couldn't talk about a lot of her backstory stuff. You couldn't show a lot of what was going on with Domino. And I still think they did an incredible job with Domino and Thunderball. Here you are 20 years later. You can say whatever you want. You can do whatever you want. You can show whatever you want. And she's just there. She's just his girlfriend. The biggest missed opportunity in this entire movie was not doing anything with Domino. And this is nothing against Kim Basinger. I mean, she went on to become very famous and... You know, she's fantastic in the right movie, like LA Confidential. She won the Oscar for that and mm, deserved it. Yeah. But she does nothing with the Domino character here. I don't want to blame her. There's just, they didn't write any character for Domino. They put so much effort into Largo and they put so much effort into Fatima and there's nothing here for Domino. Um, when it comes to the end of the movie, which we'll cover later, there's no impact to the end of her character arc because there was no character arc in the first place. Yeah, so uh, th there's probably the two other main characters of this film besides Bond, I guess. Um, we should talk about, and this is before he goes to Bahamas, but we'll group a few things in here. Let's talk about Q, um, also known as Algae or Algae, <laughs> um, which... Yeah, Colin said off air he has some theories, which I'd love to hear because I don't know why he was credited as Q brackets Algae, close bracket. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, what the hell? Um, this is not a great Q. It's just like Cockney idiot um, <laughs> trying so hard to be Desmond Llewellyn and just failing miserably. They, there's no, like, chemistry between Bond and Q, and it just does not work at all. Um, I'm almost inclined to say I like him better than Ben Wishaw, but we'll have to wait for Spectre because, really, we only got, like, one scene of him in Skyfall, so he might turn out to be good. But this Q is not good. Um, they could have... The thing that's so painfully bad is they could have made Q an easy... A Q is not a hard character to write for. They could have made a good Q in this film. And I'm almost surprised they were allowed to use Q, but I guess Q is a letter, so um, they can't really <laughs> copyright a letter. Um, and then let's also talk about uh, Mr. Bean, oh. Blackadder. Um, <laughs> uh, what, what was it? I, I still don't know if this is supposed to be an innuendo name or not. Nigel Small Fawcett. Um, <laughs> I don't know. You. Oh, I get the innuendo. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure if that's supposed to be there or not. Um, it's so British, though. Nigel Small Fawcett. Um, yeah, any Rowan Atkinson's first major film, which I'm not sure what they were going for in this character because he's like, why does Bond need uh, an informant like uh, like a a pinder there um, or like a, a representative for the uh, embassy, like other than some comedy, which is not funny in any of the bits pretty much. There's maybe a few chuckle moments there and he does do pretty well, but I just find his character almost annoying. Uh, but I, I did laugh at some bits, like use the natural cover. Like it was cringeworthy, but kind of funny. Um, <laughs> and then the end I is like 
the, yeah, that's a good physical comedy there. And the, the end and some more cringeworthy but funny, I guess, moments. But Nigel Smallforce, I just don't understand the character because it's not like, oh, Rowan Atkinson, the famous actor, let's get him. Because this was early for him. I'm not sure if Blackadder had either started yet or was about to start. I'm not sure. It just started. Just started. So it's not like Rowan. And he was in a few things beforehand, but he's not like this famous actor that, oh, we need him for a comedy uh, role. So I'm not really sure the purpose, but... I guess it's a bright spot. There are some funny moments, but also some annoying, cringeworthy moments. But, yeah, uh, the other two minor characters are Nigel Small Fawcett and Algie. Ben Wishaw. Which he's not referred to as Algie either. He, which Bond, does say, Bond does say his name, I think, in passing oh, once. But I've he written, also calls him Q, though. Yeah, I've written down here Algie in my notes. I'm pretty sure he does say it, like, really quickly. Um, <laughs> ben, ben Wishaw shits all over fucking Alec McCowan. I mean, come on. Like, this is this is Michael Caine wannabe. Like, you know, was he trying to be Alfred in fucking The Dark Knight or something like that? He's, yeah. he's, I was getting Tony Robinson vibes, too. But <sighs> maybe I'm thinking of Blackout. He, he's just... Absolutely pathetic. I think what they needed to do in this bit, if you're going to have Rowan Atkinson in this film, make Rowan Atkinson cue. Like, you know, maybe... Yeah, well, that would work easily. That would be a good good choice. Yeah, like, and as you said, like, not really a well-established actor at this point. He was sort of really just coming into it. And maybe if this movie being made five years later, they would have done that. Because Rowan Atkinson is that type of actor that would be good as a cue. But, like, I mean... He's great whole- as a domino at this point. <laughs> Um, Rowan Atkinson, it's just, I just saw this, you saw my chat, Mr. Bean did this fucking movie, like, what the hell? Um, and, I mean, the only thing I can sort of see as to why he's in this, I mean, we sort of, we didn't touch on the fact earlier that the double O's obviously were completely, no longer existed in MI6, so they've brought them back, so is the only reason why he's in this film to kind of keep an eye on Bong, because he's sort of been out of the game for a little bit and make sure he's doing the right thing, even though Nigel Small fucking Fawcett is really bumbling moron and doesn't really do that with Bond, I don't know. Um, I mean, the only bit about this whole sequence I think that I enjoyed, which was still a bit strange, was when he arrives there in the Bahamas and he's got that lady on the boat and he's she's fishing and he's being really old and creepy old man and she's all into him and then, of course, that leads into later on we get that, oh, I told you you'd catch me later. Or whatever it was. Maybe the only time I think Sean Connery had a good line in the movie. Um, but yeah, that's. I what is with Rowan Atkinson's accent? He's got like a lisp or something like that? Like, oh, it's, it's, it's stupid. Get Mr. Bean out of this movie. No. Um, I say keep Mr. Bean in this movie because it's the only <laughs> funny thing about it. Uh, with Q, Algae, Algae. Um, <laughs> first things first, as you said, Ben. There were this there's this division of the rights, who has the rights for what, you know, which is pretty much the equivalent of what goes on right now with, you know, Marvel and Fox with the character of Quicksilver, you know, who's in the Avengers and X-Men. And there's certain limitations, what you can do, what you can't do. The only reason Kevin McClory, I would think, has the rights to Q is because he produced Thunderball. Um and that's if he has the rights. My original theory was that he probably didn't have the rights to Q, but because it's just a letter, you can call him whatever you want, and then they just put Algie in the credits so that they don't get sued for that. Because Q, there's no reason that Kevin McClory has any claim to Q. Q wasn't even in the James Bond books until 
how many later? What was it the next book or the one after that? Like one or two books after Thunderball before Q was even mentioned as a character in the James Bond books uh, has nothing to do with Kevin McClory. I can only think that this whole algae algae thing is because they want to include a character that maybe they didn't have the rights to, but we really don't know who they had the rights to and who they did. He's just as out of place here as uh, money penny was earlier. He's included in there because they want you to have that recognition of this is something to do with a James Bond character, but they don't even have the balls to make it similar in any way. Um, he doesn't come across like Q. You don't have any rapport. Him and Bond have this relationship that has no explanation. So as a James Bond fan, you're still assuming this is supposed to be like the old Q, but he's nothing like the other Q. And him and Bond are kind of joking around and having fun, and he's not really cranky, and uh, he's making bad jokes about a pen. Um, <laughs> like Their roles are reversed here, and it's just, uh, I don't think anything works about Q, and I would have rather, again, if you're going to just make a movie... There are ways this movie works better by having it less associated with Bond than it is right now. Um, as, as far as Small Fawcett, Blackadder, Bean, um, <laughs> I really think that he's a highlight just because he brings a little bit of humor here. And the other moments of humor are so unintentional. And I love the moment with him <laughs> using the cover. Um, and, and that whole sequence, again, it's kind of fun for me because, you know, I've been to Nassau and that's one of the locations I remember. There's only two times I've seen this movie before. The first time when I was a teenager and thought this was a real Bond movie, so I was just upset the whole time. The more it went on, realizing it wasn't. And then just after I gone, or just before I went to the Bahamas looking at it, and this is like the only location, I think, from this movie, along with his hotel, that I actually did see. Uh, so it's kind of fun. But nothing else about the scene does make sense. Like the whole Fisher thing, uh, the bad pickup line, it just doesn't fit with Connery's Bond in this movie. And... Uh, I, I would have liked to have seen more of Small Fawcett, maybe make him a little bit less goofy, but have more of him and maybe less of even Felix later on. Because uh, I think that what Bond needed was somebody to bring a little bit more fun to this. You know, the way that in uh, uh, some of the other Bond movies, he has a sidekick. I, I, I was going to say Rosie Carver, then I realized you guys were grown at that. <laughs> but an example of Not Rosie compared Carver, to this movie. From... Please bring up Rosie Carver. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> let's talk about Rosie Carver again is the new title of this episode. Um, <laughs> but let's look at Rosie Carver, somebody that's fun, oh, I that's thought we were maybe joking. a little bit, little bit goofy, that's fun for Bond to play off of. And I wanted more than one scene with him in this. So I, I say you should have kept around for longer in the movie. Just just really quickly before Noah, you get in, I just wanted to say, of course, Rowan Atkinson went on to be Johnny English, of course, in the two sort of films there, mm -hmm. like parodies of Bond movies. And I'm sure we'll talk about those when we get to sort of parodies and that later on. But, um, I mean, they're fun. And I think it shows that Rowan Atkinson can play a little bit more in a type of these films and still be quite comedic. So... Yeah, just it's, it's interesting that his first kind of major film role was this, and then he would go on to really be in a complete parody of the James Bond films. Well, uh, we talked about a lot of the characters, so we're jumping a bit about the plot, but we can go back over some of the bits uh, later. But let's talk about uh, Felix, because uh, Colin kind of mentioned him there. Um, played by the esteemed <laughs> Bernie Casey, um, oh, who... Was I'm a fan of his. I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna come out and say I know who this guy is. Of Bernie Casey, yeah. Oh, you're the fan. Uh, he, well, he's a professional <laughs> football player. What well, was and an actor. Um, looking at his Wikipedia, 
Revenge of the Nerds. He's in Revenge Bill of the Nerds. Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. They're pretty yes. much the only ones. Under Siege. He was the... He was the teacher in Bill and Ted. I didn't even rec- I've seen this movie three times, and it's the yeah. first time I recognize him. I've He's seen the, that. The He's in Under yeah, Siege. I've seen it multiple times, and I don't remember Bernie Casey in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. But I don't remember I'm him sure in Revenge of the Nerds. Watch. I haven't seen that in a while. Yeah, though. Revenge of the Nerds and Under Siege, outside of those three films, I don't see anything I'm Tom overly Katz, familiar Tom with. Katz. Uh, the famous Dr. Black, Mr. Hyde, of course. Um, <laughs> the, cornbread, the, Earl and Me, is, 1970. Is he Once upon much, a time when we were coloured. I was going to say, is he in like, just heaps of exploitation films here? What's going on? Jeez. Um, and then I'm looking at his Wikipedia under personal life. Casey resides in Los Angeles. He's a devout <laughs> Seventh-day Adventist. Casey enjoys painting. <laughs> no reference there. Uh, and that's the only page. thing other personal life. You have to imagine Casey uh, uploaded that himself. There's no reference to suggest that Casey enjoys painting. Um, and that's literally everything under personal life. Um, <laughs> God, that's the most funny thing I've ever seen on Wikipedia. <laughs> Casey enjoys painting. Maybe we can put some paint, some of his paintings on the page for this episode. I reckon we uh, could get it. We could get an uh, interview with him. Um, yeah. Talk about his painting. You only talk about his paintings. But, uh, <laughs> well, let's talk about Felix again. A positive for this film. I. It's been so long since we've seen a genuine Felix Leiter. Like the last time was a genuine Felix Leiter. Yeah, um, it's been a long time. Which maybe we'll touch on that in our eighties episode. But it's bizarre that Moore doesn't have many Felix films or well any except for one. So it's good to see a return from our favourite CIA agent. I don't love this guy, but I really do like him. I think he's a good Felix Leiter, um, better than Rick Van Nuthead from Thunderball and Sex, 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 Linda, that's for sure. He's definitely better than him Um, and John Terry Leiter that we'll get to in a few films' time. So I think he he really does – he's kind of the action guy for this film because Connery's the old fogey. I was thinking in the climax, we need to have the Felix kill count, not the Bond kill count, because mm-hmm. Felix, like, he's the Rambo of this film, and they could have done more with the role, but it's Felix. Like, Felix doesn't often have a lot of characterization, and I think they do what they can with it, and he does have a bit of chemistry, not much, but a bit there with Bond. Like, if we had to rank all the Felixes, he's not going to be the top three, but I would still put him up there. Like, he's probably my favourite part of this film, or one of them. I really did enjoy Felix. I thought he was good. I'm with you there. I, I, I like uh, Bernie. I like Felix. And, yeah, I mean, when, when did we have Felix? Was it Live and Let Die was the last time we had a Felix in a film? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's been a while since yeah. we've had a taste of Felix. Ten years. So, um, you know, I think it works well. And, you know, Felix is one of these characters that... Um, you know he's he's very important in a lot of the films, and yeah, like he basically has more of a kill count in this film, absolutely. And um, obviously, Never Say Never Again was very forward thinking. Of course, uh, first African American Felix, we had that again, of course, in Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace. And th- this is a character that I think almost can work better as an African American character. Like I don't know, there's just something about this um this role that really works. Um, so, it should have just been the main character. It should have been a Felix spin-off, not yeah. a Bond film. If this is a Felix spin-off, I could probably stomach it a little bit better. But, um, 
Yeah, no, I've got only positive things to say about it. So maybe I'm going to rephrase myself when I said one and three quarters. Uh, maybe it's two and three quarters uh, good things about this film because uh, I'm up there with the Felix love. Go Bernie Casey. Go you good thing. Keep, keep painting. Go you good thing. <laughs> <laughs> Go you good thing. Uh, yeah, they could have titled this Never Say Linda Again um, and made this the Felix spinoff. I when I said earlier that I think they could have done with less of Felix and more of Small Fawcett, uh, that's no knock against Felix. Uh, I think that Felix was very suitable, especially for the later stuff in the movie with the action, as you said. Not just suitable, I mean necessary. There was no way that Grandpa Connery was going to be able to pull off uh, a lot of the action that's needed here. And Felix really does it. Uh, and that's one of the things that even the best, like Jack Lord and jeffrey wright really missed is that felix was kind of a dangerous man and he he took some huge beatings in the books and everything but uh he was always kind of a tough guy character and i like that they got an athlete to play him here somebody with a physical presence uh it just suited him uh, as i said i i don't know him from anything other than bill and ted's excellent adventure he played the teacher and that was uh as much as I love Star Wars and James Bond, as a child, Bill and Ted was like the greatest thing I'd ever seen. And I've probably seen that movie more than anything else in my entire life. So I'm surprised it took me three views of this to recognize. It's the teacher from Bill and Ted. Yeah, is Felix here. But uh, he is good for what he's in. I don't think that um, I don't think that he is the best Felix ever, like you said. I don't think he's anywhere near the best Felix ever. But he does have a presence. And for this movie... Uh, he is one of the, not only one of the things that works about the movie, he's one of the things that actually holds at least the second half of this movie together. I feel like, yeah, I, I do love uh, Felix kicking ass in the climax. Um, I feel like we've talked about so many of the characters here. We may as well talk about whatever characters remain um, because that's really, again, as we said, is just the same plot as Thunderball for the most part. Um, so who haven't we talked about? Um some of the women here are Saskia Cohen Tanugi, the esteemed Saskia Cohen Tanugi, doesn't have a Wikipedia. Um, as Nicole, the famous Nicole, Bond's MI6 contact in France, who I guess is the Paula of this film, which, like, you guys weren't as high on Paula as I was, but if you thought Paula was bad, then say hello to Nicole. <laughs> um,. Guess if you want to talk about Patricia Fearing, we kind of covered her. And then we have Valerie Leon as Lady in Bahamas. Um, <laughs> her breakthrough role. Which was There that really the is only one in the movie, apparently. <laughs> yeah, was that the woman in the boat? Like, so many. The, the Australian sounding woman? The same in this film. They all have the same big hair and same looks. Was that the one in the boat at the, when he first got there? I think. And was she Australian? Because she really sounded Australian to me. Uh, there, click one button. That was one of the comments I had was that this English. is in the Bahamas English. and they did film it in the Bahamas. Why does nobody have a Bahamian <laughs> or a Caribbean accent? Like they all sound like they're from France or Australia or Germany or something. Yeah. Like did they not cast any proper Caribbeans in this movie? They just need somebody to be like, yeah, yeah man. No <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, she was British. And just, um, to, just to say, too, she did not act in another movie again till 2006 after Never Say Never Again until she was in 2006 as a neutral corner. And she didn't want to ruin her track record. She was like, oh, I've been in this great film. I don't want to... She was in Spy, Love Me. Bad one. 
what? No. Apparently. It says here. Which one are we talking about here? Uh, Valerie Leon, Girl on Boat. <laughs> <laughs> so who was she in Spy Who Loved Me? So she appears, she's been a Bond girl, girl on twice. Land. <laughs> in The Spy Who Loved Me and the other and non-official... Oh, let's do some research. We'll find out. Yeah, yeah. Valerie. Everybody's dying to know. <laughs> well, she's not in the main credits for Valerie Leon's on Wikipedia, so I think you're going to have to revert to the she internet. Was, oh, hang on a minute. Stop, stop press. This. Hang on, stop press. In Spy Who Loved Me, hotel she was reception. hotel receptionist. Ah, oh, yes, <laughs> The famous, the esteemed hotel receptionist. That's not the one that delivered the message, right? <laughs> uh, she just delivered it. That's a different one, right? No, no, I, I think it think is her. A one. Is there another one in there? How many hotel receptionists are in the spy two. loved me? <laughs> we didn't do yeah, that count. Um, <laughs> all right, so you want to talk... Oh, why are we even talking about Valerie Leon? This is the lowest <laughs> we're, we're point in my entire life. Valerie Leon in Never Say Never Again episode. Okay. I've hit rock bottom in life. Um, <laughs> so... Well, there's Valerie Leon in, as Lady in Bahamas, and then there's Saskia Kawantanugi as Nicole. They're pretty much the other main, I guess, if you want to say, notable characters. We've pretty much talked about all the other characters. I'm just going to say I've got nothing to add on them, and that should speak more words than any other words I could actually well, say. Thanks for bringing it up, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know where we're up to the film. I'm reading my notes here. I've written semi-sex scene, porn music, slide, why are they at boat, she swims off. <laughs> uh, we were just covering some of the characters, so that's out of the way, and then we can talk about the esteemed plot. Oh, right, okay. So we're just talking about random people before we get to that. Okay, I understand. I, I just, I'm lost like I was watching The this thing movie. we've been doing for the past half an hour, Ben. <laughs> Oh god, I just I'm just lost. Why are we talking about this movie? Like you, you two are just hanging out for die another day right now. Awkward silence. Okay, wait. <laughs> you don't want to talk about late um, in. Nobody both? wants to talk about this. All right, I just we'll want move on if no one has anything to say about Nicole or Lady in Boat. Um, <laughs> I don't. Valerie Leon was the one who delivered the message to Roger Moore and Spy oh. Who Loved Me. Um, I can remember her in that movie. I have no recollection of her in Never Say Never Again, so I have nothing yeah, to add. Let's move on. We're just big But I do want to say with with Nicole, I'm completely with you. It's a huge step down from Paula. And we'll probably talk about the scene later on, but the number one thing that drags this entire movie away from the plot is because of her character. But we'll probably cover that when it comes up. Yeah, so maybe let's jump into a bit more of the plot if you really want to. Um, so I guess the next notable scene would be when Bond meets with Fatima and then they have some fun uh, with the bush and then they swim through the wreckage and there's a shark chase, which is just like they had to fit the sharks in with Fatima kind of calling the sharks or something like that. She's a shark whisperer <laughs> and a shark chase, which I guess is decent, but did did we need it? It's kind of random. Um, I'm not sure if I loved this bit here. Um, and then maybe we'll sort of also talk about his meeting with Domino that comes not long after that, where we had Bond in overalls. I'm not sure if either of you picked <laughs> oh. them. I never thought yeah, I'd see so Bond, in, Bond overall. in overalls here. Yep. That was uh, interesting. And then I guess we can also talk about the sparse scene, which with Bond and all the women there. And then him acting as like masseuse guy, which was just really creepy and really weird. 
uh, meeting with Domino and then like heading off. So I don't know if I have too much to add. I wasn't a huge fan of either of the scenes. I thought it was creepy and I thought the shark chase was almost unnecessary, just fitting sharks in. What, why is Bond and Fatima Bush scuba dive? What, what is the purpose of that? Am I lost there? Have I just thought paying attention to this movie? You're not lost. Yeah. So th- there's no purpose to them doing this. <laughs> No purpose whatsoever. Get the shark. Because this whole bit, I'm I'm honestly watching this thinking, have I absolutely just paying no attention to this film? I've missed some big key plot point as to why he's randomly swimming with Fatima's bush in water and got, like, (laughs) robot-controlled sharks with beepy bits on them coming after him. Um... Yeah, he. I, I think they legitimately killed a shark for this shot too. I mean, that was pretty brutal. Um, you know, we we're talking about the snake before. A shark gets killed. We get a poor horsey falls off a cliff later on. <laughs> get to the horsey. <laughs> <laughs> like McClory hates animals. <laughs> Actually, well, funnily enough, uh, just on that, I did read a trivia point that this was the film that people got a little bit angry about with the the horseman in particular. So it was after this film that they started including the no animals were harmed in the making of this film at the end of movies. So there's a bit of a trivia for you. This film does have a purpose. Um, yeah, I, I've got nothing to add except for we get the you did show you'd catch me later line um, before he has sex and then he's off again. So, yeah, I've got nothing to add on all of that. Well, the shark scene, I'm surprised because um, this, this is probably the one action scene in the movie that I really enjoyed, even though it doesn't really make any sense, like a lot of the stuff in this movie. Uh, there's some big flaws here. Those are the weakest sharks that I've ever seen because apparently <laughs> old man's Connery in water can actually force a door closed on them. Like they have no strength at all. These things are malnourished or something. Uh, and yeah, there's some type of like homing beacon that they're all drawn to. Or, uh, I don't really understand it. <laughs> but it's a fun scene because you actually have, you know, Connery fighting partially with sharks, fleeing from sharks. Uh, it's the one action in the movie I actually really enjoy. So um, I wish there was a little bit more sharks in the movie. Um, <laughs> wow, the uh, the spa scene, uh, Connery in his really old man looking sweatsuit. That was great. Uh, yeah, I never thought I'd see Bond in tracky decks. Yeah, <laughs> uh, the fashion just is not here for Connery in this movie. Uh, there was kind of the the one funny line in there where he goes, do you serve men here? And they're like, some more than others. You know, <laughs> uh, there are a couple of good one-liners in this movie. We actually forgot about one. I, I just read in my notes, but I'll mention it now. I love the part earlier on where he was talking with Q and Q's freaking out on him because of what happened when he was at the um, the rehab clinic. And um, he Bond reminds him, well, the man did try to kill me after all. He goes, oh, he caught you seducing his wife, did you? Uh, <laughs> that was the one part I liked with Q. But yeah, like it's it's a really weird scene, and it, again, it goes on really long. Irvin Kirshner has an inner perv in him that's just screaming to get out. Because <laughs> um, this scene with the massage and the flash dance peeping Tom scene, they go on for like five minutes in this movie, and it gets to the point where Connery is literally sticking his hands underneath Domino's towel, massaging her butt, and... <laughs> It, they have like about six shots of that in a row. Like it just goes on and on, and they're the not butt. even. It'd be like the missiles. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, but I mean that that sequence again. There's just a lot of stuff in this movie that doesn't belong. But 
at least it's memorable enough we could talk about it. I guess if that's something. I think the next notable scene, and I need to apologize for myself, my comments made probably like four or five months ago, is that I said this was better than the Baccarat scene in Thunderbird. Oh. I'm such a flog and idiot. That was the <laughs> dumbest thing to say ever. Um, I don't know what I was thinking. Like, how did I say that? I apologize. I must have been high. Um <laughs> We have the meeting with Largo in a video game arcade in the casino. Uh, <laughs> keeping up with the times. This is the Fuck. times of the video games. Like, oh. Bond and Largo play Domination, which is <laughs> a game I could not tell you the rules about because it wasn't really said. Um, and we have about 10 minutes of... Connery and Klaus making funny faces while they play this bizarre video game that's buzzing them that just goes on and on and on and yet we know nothing about what they're actually doing um, and this is the villain meeting scene like the card this is the it's your spectre against mine scene which I am sorry that I said this was better I, I clearly have not seen this film in a very very long time um because it's not better. It's one of the worst bits about this film because it goes on. And, like, what is this? It's just ridiculous. It's definitely the low light of this film. I cannot wait to get to die another day when you guys are bagging the shit out of, like, the invisible car. And, well, I'll bag out the surfing scene too. But I'm just going to bring up video games. Because, fuck it, James Bond is playing video games, people. I mean, this is stupid. He's killed someone with his piss and now he's, like... <laughs> Playing video games. Like, he's a, he's a 17 year old boy in this film. He's just, you know, it's he wants to be one anyway. I mean, the rules of this video game are stupid. So, like, you've got to, like, blow up countries, but you've got to defend countries. And then if you don't do it right, you get electrocuted. And for some reason, like, everybody's, like, running along and, like, wanting to watch this. And they've come from that weird room with, like, a thousand bloody Pac Man stand up arcade machines, which. All people are dressed in, like, tuxedos and everything. Why do you go to, like, a casino and you're playing fucking arcade <laughs> games? Um, Big yeah. in NASA. It's just stupid. Like, it's nothing. Like, this is just crap. Like, Bond's playing a video game to the death. Like, you know, I want them to see Inspector. Like, you know, fucking Daniel Craig and, and Christoph Waltz playing Halo 3 or something on an Xbox. Like, oh, no, nah, this is just ridiculous. Noah... Um, I can't even remember you saying that this was better than Thunderball, but you're an idiot. I know. Um, wow. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't remember that either. If you did say that, I want to hear the clip to hear our reaction. I think this is one case that Never Say Never Again probably does better, but we'll have to talk about that when we get to it. I haven't watched that film in a while. Um, I think they play video games or something. Yeah, that. I don't know <laughs> if it was better. <laughs> Well, it was longer. Asteroids or Frogger. <laughs> <laughs> this scene is probably the worst thing that's ever been done in any James Bond movie ever. <laughs> and that might include an invisible car. Because uh, the invisible car had interesting stuff going on around it. Like you said, Ben, they're playing video games at this elegant party with an orchestra, and it's in a castle. And all the adults in their back playing Pong and Pac-Man. Uh, <laughs> why? Uh, 
the the strangest thing about this is this video game, which first of all, I don't know if either of you missed this. We talked about how they didn't have the rights to the gun barrel. They cheated because when you look at the graphics on the middle board here, when a missile or whatever it is they're doing is shot, the graphic of the gun barrel closes in on the missile and then quickly retracts. <laughs> and it's probably something that you could never spot until it was in high definition, but McClory stuck it in there. Here's the that problem. <laughs> yeah, it's I, I I noticed it a couple of times this time. Um, but here's the problem with this scene: the entire scene, like you said, goes on for ten minutes, and we're saying that about every scene in this movie. Like people people who think this is a great movie really need to sit down and watch it. Every meaningless scene in this goes way too long. They're playing video games, and we don't know what's going on. I think you were saying Ben or you Noah. We don't really know what's going on. They're saying they're getting electrocuted, but they're not allowed to let go. So from the perspective of the audience, you just see them clenching their fists. <laughs> and you're not sure, like, they're like, danger level. They keep saying, danger level, danger level. Or what, for losing the game or dying? Like, we don't really <laughs> know. And then they just suddenly will let go and throw themselves on the floor. It's just the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen in a Bond movie. It's not even the fact that it is a video game. It's this video game is the dumbest thing ever. It's like, again, everything about this movie, I think the context has been lost that we're no longer 1983 because we keep bringing up all these things from 1983 that they're clearly trying to cash in on. Flashdance and everything else. This was just War Games, the Matthew Broderick movie. I don't know if either of you saw that. No. no the entire no, movie is was... Is that just... the one where Matthew Broderick uh, makes love with the hood of a car? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Is that was in the deleted scene. Is so. that the one where Matthew Broderick doesn't age and looks the same age as he does for, like, the last 30 years? <laughs> yeah, that was everything from the last 30 years. <laughs> now, there's a, there, it's a really good movie from, uh, I think, the exact same year, 83, where Matthew Broderick's a teenager that plays video games and he accidentally hacks into a government computer and it starts World War Three. Oh. And this entire thing is just completely ripped off. That, I'm see that sounds like a more of a you Bond film than these. <laughs> yeah. It would be a great Bond movie. And oh, it's just, no, I hate this scene. And there were things that I could always forgive about this movie. Not that I ever had the desire to watch it again, but whenever I would talk to people, about never say never again. I'm like, Bond plays a video game that could kill him. Like you, you can't write anything stupider than that. Um, yeah I, I'm sorry for saying that that was better than Thunderball that's the low light of 007 uh, we've had a, we've had a few of them too so that's saying something yeah that's the, that was the never say never again comment of 007 um, let's jump through some of the stuff here we have Bond and Domino dancing which really seems like it's something out of a parody film of the main mm. characters dancing while they reveal imp- important information and compare that to Domino finding out about her brother in <laughs> Thunderball which is like a really like tense scene one of the best in the, in the film series to this goofy dancing thing mm-hmm. which oh, face palm then we have Nicole's dead. Boohoo, so sad. Um, sorry, Nicole. And then my favourite part of the movie, the motorbike chase. I really enjoy this. We are robbed of not seeing more Bond on a motorbike. Like, did we ever see it in the first three Bond actors? I'm just trying to think. Maybe we did, but have we only seen it once? My head. Have we only ever seen one motorbike chase. No, 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 no. Uh, there's one in Tomorrow Never Dies. There's yeah, one in Skyfall. Uh, 
That's been, oh, yeah, Sky, um, Skyfall. I've only seen it. Yep, I get you. I remember it now. I'm sure there's another one. but I was just thinking Tomorrow that, Never Dies. I yeah, couldn't remember the Skyfall one. Yeah, we're robbed of not more motorbike Bond chases because I think it's epic seeing Bond on a motorbike rather than just in a car. Like, it really works, and I hope we see more in the future because I, I really like this. Uh, like going under the, um, the tanker thing was really cool and something you can do on the Everything or Nothing video game, which is awesome. And then the chase and then into the car and then turning around and off it again. Um, yeah, through the city. I, I think this is a great scene, not even a, oh, it's good for this film. I think this would work, maybe a few more action stunts in there, but I think this would work in a Bond film, a proper one. We've seen worse chase scenes in other Bond films. So I'm going to defend this to the grave. I really like the motorbike chase that comes after the face palm dancing scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I see it. I see what you're saying. Um, but... What ruins it for me is the music. It's just it's it's like this weird scat jazz sixties. Yeah, it's it's just like that would have been cool. Like obviously you, they can't use the theme, and I get that. Um, and I think that they want to try and get John Barry or somebody to come in and do the score for this, but they politely declined because of their sort of connection to Eon or something. I should like. point out now and. I don't think we wanted to watch this film twice, but maybe it's something we can do in the future. Or I'm no, not don't sure. make me do it there now. Is, there is a re-edit of this film, and it includes, I believe, the gun barry. Gun barry? <laughs> <laughs> the gun barrel. Uh, and John Barry scores, including the Bond theme, but also I think the entire soundtrack has uh, changed, um, except for the main theme, probably not. Um, so I think maybe that I've never seen it. Maybe we should have watched that one or sometime in the future we can compare the two because I think it would make an, a huge improvement. Maybe not huge, but it would make an improvement on the film, the re-edit. I would, I would agree with you there because I think a lot of what is a problem with this film is the music and this, it just shows in this scene. Um, it's, 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 yeah, it's entertaining. It is a good, it is a good scene and I agree with you. More motorbike chases in Bond, um, would be fantastic. I mean, I one of my favourite sort of action sequences from any action style um, movie, Matrix Reloaded, the whole motorbike chase that you had on that custom built highway and pretty shit movie, but like that was a big standout for that one. So motorbike chases in any movies are, pre- are pretty good, but yeah, there's just the the music destroys this. You've kind of got really dumb villains like they lock him, they go to lock him in that truck and they're slowly putting that ramp up. I mean, hello, he's on a motorbike. Do you not think he's going to drive over the top of that ramp like? <laughs> He's like 87 years old, I get that, but he's not dumb. Um, Man, so I don't know how sturdy a ramp on a truck like that would be. But, like, what dumb fuck villain is like, ha, ah, we've got him now. Oh, but it makes for an awesome jump, though. <laughs> like, the jump is epic. It doesn't make any sense why they would usher him into the back, though. I'm with yeah, Ben on that. But this is a Bond film. Like, we could look at every single eon one and there's going to be a thing in there like why are they doing that um and i don't know if are we skipping ahead to right then when he gets to the fatima bit or are we keeping that separate do you want me to stop uh we can talk about that in a minute but if you want to talk oh, about i just it, wanted to quickly it. add i mean i i did i do enjoy the scene then when he gets with fatima and it's kind of like cornered and you know against sadistic fatima and it's, when we get a bit of her in this scene don't when it's like don't touch him he's mine like with all the villains that's maybe why they're just trying to like can you know trap him in a box because they're trying to save him for fatima um and yeah then basically we see fatima wants to for him to declare that she was the best ever that's like her <laughs> evil thing 
Um, okay, and then she gets blown up with no guts or blood going anywhere. So I love that it doesn't work initially, though. I think that's a great touch, mm. and mm. then she blows up. But the most ridiculous thing is like, oh, have you got a pen on you? You write this down. <laughs> yeah. like, she just gives it to him and expects him that he's gonna have a pen ready and that he's gonna write it. Like, it's the most forced fitting the gadget in in Bond history. But yeah, no, um, I'd, I'd, I'd probably jumped ahead there. We probably want to keep that separate, but I just sort of add that in. But um, yeah, just I just can't forgive this for the music. The music just destroys it for me. Um, yeah, the, I wasn't really hating on the score up until this point, but this music doesn't work at all. Um, if we go back one more scene to the the dance scene between Bond and Domino, I want to talk about that for a second. Uh, I don't mind bond dancing i don't want him dancing like it's dancing with the stars uh <laughs> he's got all this flair and panache and he's throwing his arms in the air it was like oh no like just no this is like some old you know cheesy gene kelly movie like singing in the rain or something and it's just it, it was not masculine in any way the way sean connery was moving his body uh I never want to see that again. That is the most awkward thing Connery's ever done in his career. The bike chase is good. I don't think it's as good as you do, Noah, um, because I think that there is the flaw with how the whole thing ends. Um, even though Fatima is what really makes his bike chase. Like you mentioned the line where uh, Ben, where she's like, you know, no, no, leave him for me. Like she has so much intensity there. And well, like I said earlier, she's very over the top and that suited this because there's no other reason why Bond would just jump on a motorbike that has rockets in the back and everything. I mean, other than the fact that this is an over-the-top sequence, let's get an over-the-top villain in there and have him do battles. So the fact that he's kind of cornered in the end is okay. The whole bike jump thing doesn't make any sense. Um, but it's why cool. they're gonna? Eh, it's it's. But you see it coming. That's the problem. Is like you know if if I'm the villain. I know he's about to jump right there. And even, as you said, if it's not that sturdy, he at least forces the door back open again. Uh, but imagine if that jump, right as he jumps off, that's when the Bond thing kicks in. Like That would, oh, yes, cool. that would have made it, yeah. Uh, uh, what I really love is the scene where Fatima corners him. And this is, again, even when the good parts of this movie come up for us, we're still talking about how it makes no sense. Because we have no reason to believe that she is that concerned with her reputation that... James Bond can write a letter on the back of a napkin that he found in a sewer somewhere and that this is going to hold up somewhere. Like, what, is she going to take this around, you know, when she gets her contract? And say, hey, this is what James Bond wrote on a napkin before he died. <laughs> like, like, sure, anybody could have written that, right? Like, she's so concerned with him getting this confession out there. And just the fact that Bond kind of plays her is like, oh, well, maybe that's something that you should have in writing. Too bad I don't have anything to write on. Well, write on that, Bond. Um <laughs> about i don't have a pen oh there's a pen oh my <laughs> pen's out of ink let me just point it at you for no reason whatsoever <laughs> nothing about the scene makes sense but fatima makes it work and i do like the delayed you said no the delayed explosion really is a good gag there because even i'm wondering you know why isn't she blowing up at this point but yeah ben you also have a point there's no blood there's no guts she just seems to be incinerated leaving her only her shoes for some reason uh there and then bond, some red in there I didn't see any red, but if there was, I mean, uh, uh, I guess 
Irvin Kershner gets a pass for the rest of his career now. Let's let him make Star Wars Episode Eight. Uh, we needed a Lazenby. She's got a lot of guts lying in there or something. Yeah. <laughs> it's just it's sad at this point to see her go from the movie because you know there's really not much left to watch, and that's evidenced by the fact that the scene ends with. And I like the idea that Felix was there just watching this. That was kind of cool, but then it ends with. Phoenix and Bond in their short shorts jogging gear on a bicycle oh, the fleeing the fleeing the scene. Um, just and again, images in this movie, like Sean Connery clearly did not care about his reputation, but how this man could do anything after this that was in any way masculine, I don't understand. He's in these tight little white short shorts and he's dancing like <laughs> uh, just ridiculous. Uh, poor Sean Connery. It's like he's fallen so far at this point um <laughs> yeah after that you've got as you said bond and felix on a bikey um bit of snooping around what did they call the boat it's not the disco volante it's something else flying saucer <laughs> the flying saucer yes um, and they get captured and then they're taken to, I'm reading here on Wikipedia, I must have missed it at the time, Palmyra. You must have watched the film then. You're just doing a Ben. Just re- didn't watch the movie. You're just reading it off Wikipedia. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, yeah, because I didn't know exactly where they took them. Maybe I missed that. Maybe he said, I'm taking it to Palmyra. Um, I think Domino said it to him. Yeah. So they're trapped in this kind of Arab castle thing. Um I have to say, I enjoy this scene. It's not brilliant, but I enjoy everything that happens here with Bond sneaking out and, like, it's got a bit of a of good vibe to it. We're out of the Bahamas. It's a cool castle thing. Um, if you combine the opening sequence with this film and some other stuff in between, I think this has potential uh, to be a good, well, not a good Bond film, but an okay Bond film. I, I like the stuff that happens here. Some cool action. And... I never thought we would be having um, be talking about horsies three films in a row. Like every film, it's just a horsey. Yeah. Um, and there's the Bond and Domino escape, which this scene kind of only exists for them to escape. But I still think it's cool. Like it's better than most of the stuff that long extended Bahamas sequence we've just had. Um, and then Bond and Domino ride off, trying to escape. There's nowhere else to go. But off the edge of the cliff, we've got some terrible green screen of up-close cottery. And then the, the horse falls into the water. And we never see the horse again. And I'm inclined to put this in the kiss, uh, kiss, bang, bang uh, as a Bond kill. <laughs> the horse is never seen you, from you again. You see the horse. You into do. the water. Yeah, you see him swimming. Not to say it'll ever make it to shore. Yeah, because yeah, I, I, I counted it as a kill and I crossed it off when I saw the horse swimming. <laughs> that, I, I love the deleted scene where the horse is swimming and then the random guy that got abandoned in Thunderball, the guy who saved the day, uh, who got ditched in the water, meets up with the horse. Well, we were both abandoned. And then he rides the horse into the sunset. Um, oh, I was cracking up, but more cringeworthy cracking up that this horse just got slammed into the water upside down. What is this? And they must have actually done it, but it was just, and it was such a high thing. Like, obviously it wouldn't have been that high, but 
in just the context of the story, they falling off this massive high thing with this horsey into the water. Like, oh, that's so sad. And oh, my God. But I like this scene. We needed a double take pigeon um, as he's falling yeah. off the cliff. <laughs> cool, cool. Um, there are those giant birds when Bonds escape that would <laughs> shut up too. I can't. I just I can't make sense of my notes here. We got a vodka martini in here somewhere. I've written here. Yeah, um, yeah, on the boat. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Uh, we saw Kim Bassing's nipples through a white see-through top. Um, yeah. Yep. Um, getting Bond. I'm just trying to work out what Bond wanted. Fresh clothing, more porn music. Um, this is all on the flying saucer, but I didn't find it to be too important to talk about. Yeah, Bond, I've written here in big capital letters, how does Bond know? I don't even know what that is in reference to. Um, the scene there, wasn't it, with Largo and, and Domino, like, you betrayed me, but I forgive you. Um, okay. Um, yeah, and then we get horse falling off lifting <laughs> into water. <laughs> Um, this is, I mean, this is the point of the movie where I'm really losing focus and really just not paying attention to a whole lot of stuff that's going on because I'm, I'm over it. I'm looking at the timestamp going, oh, I only got 20 minutes to go. Um, it's my, what most people do when they listen to an episode of our show. Um, but it's, we, yeah, I've really got nothing to add except hilarious horse falling off. The terrible blue screen was just woeful. Um, I've written here, where's the horse kill? And then I've written, oh no, it's there. Um, and they're going to blow up Washington, D.C. And, oh, I won't tell you where the other one is. Dun, dun, dun. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> that made no sense. Just like this movie. Colin, please talk. Um, I got a lot of stuff to add on this sequence, so um, hopefully I don't go on too long. First of all, before we get on the flying saucer here, we've now gone through two-thirds of the movie, and the bomb is not even part of the plot at this point, which is a real big problem. It, it suddenly becomes part of the plot again, but... Why, after all of this, of Bond killing all the henchmen and everything, and uh, Fatima's gone, Bond sneaks onto Largo's boat, and he welcomes him in um, and leaves him alone with his girlfriend. He watches him, basically, and Bond was getting it on with Domino just because he knew that Largo was watching. I like the scene of Largo freaking out and destroying everything, and that's where I think that Largo works better in this movie because they played up on the whole possessiveness of Domino. But then they drop it again a second later, where he's just destroyed everything. He just realizes Bond has got him again. And then he still has him a guest all the way to North Africa. And it's only when they walk into the castle that he's like, oh, sorry, I'm not really going to serve you dinner, Bond. Uh, <laughs> here, you're going to go get chained up in, with a bunch of skeleton corpses. You know, um, His scene with Domino is pretty good. I love that when he force kisses Domino, there is the biggest gob of drool connecting their two mouths that you've ever seen. <laughs> I don't know if either of you caught that. No. It's the most disgusting thing I've ever seen. We have to include the screenshot when we put this post up. It is so gross. I don't know why Krishna put that in the movie. <laughs> um, yeah, I, mean, I like that they changed the climax to North Africa. It's a different location. But why does he tell them the location of one of the bombs? And why do we never see that again? I mean, this is, again, where this movie could have been bigger and better. You have two bombs split up in two locations. Have, you know, not small faucet, but have somebody just showing some scenes in Washington of them having to fight for that bomb. And then you have the other bomb they're fighting for with Bond. You're splitting the bombs up. You're telling them where one of them is, and then we never hear from again. It's like, oh, well, now that we know where one of it is, let's take it out. Well, Largo would never have told them that. It doesn't make sense. 
a lot of this plot just the escape was you talk about the music and the bike chase the music here i think it's the same music that bond and domino danced to it's included <laughs> in this scene the horsey escape i just wanted to see bond throwing that that very flamboyant arms flailing in the air while he was riding the horsey <laughs> that totally would have sold this the dumbest thing we talked about the bad blue screen connery's ridiculous face and, oh, as they go over the cliff <laughs> he just changed his clothes the shot where he goes over the cliff he's wearing a shirt jacket shoes and socks when he comes out of the water all of those are off <laughs> he somehow lost his shirt, his jacket, his shoes, and his socks in the water, but the hairpiece is intact. <laughs> that is the miracle of this movie. I want to see the deleted scene where we see the horse and it's wearing Bond's shirt and shoes. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's up, got all tangled up in there. Uh... It's, it's hooves just can't fit into his shoes. It's got the socks dangling off. <laughs> the horsey was the star of this film. <laughs> Uh, we'll talk about everything left in this film now. Um, I don't have too much more to add. We have, all right, it's going to end in the big final climax. So we have Bond and Felix on the dumbest jetpack things ever <laughs> flying into the cave. Can, can, can we just stop and talk about those just separately for two seconds? What the fuck? Like, I feel like, oh, Thunderbolt had a jetpack. We, we should have a jetpack. It's like a Segway in the sky. And then and you look mm-hmm. at the, like, the special effects. They've gotten like two Ken dolls. One of them isn't even black. <laughs> and then the next scene, we've got Felix Lighter and he's back to being normal again. And then like they just put him on pieces of string. Ring dangling him in the air. This is a Thunderbird. <laughs> you got these giant flames coming out of the bottom of it, and there's only an inch separating them and the flames, and they're in short shorts again. Like, are they not worried about getting burned from these things? Listen, Thunderball, the jetpack was real, and even the scene where it was blue screen with Connery looked a lot more realistic than this. It was made 20 years earlier. The short yeah. shorts, uh, 60 year old guys in short shorts really took away from the climax battle. Um, <laughs> They could have uh, put him in the track pants, having him on yeah. gym mat. That would have improved the overalls. This again. Um, <laughs> so there's this big battle uh, to the missiles. I think it's the set. I think it's quite cool. It, like this old like statues and that, but some of the stuff looks so fake. Like bring back Ken Adam, but I do think some of it looks cool. There's a pretty cool battle here. I like Felix like dominating here, being the Rambo Rambo lighter. Um, is pretty cool. Like again, as I wrote in my notes, we need the Felix kill count, not the Bond kill count, the Grandpa kill count. Uh, so I think there's some cool stuff here, some battle. It just could have been more grander and could have been better, but I'll take what we can get. I think it's still pretty decent. It's better than some of the climaxes in proper Bond. And then we have Bond under the water trying to catch Largo, which is so anticlimactic and so whatever. By this point, they should have just ended it at the cave base thing and not done this underwater stuff. It does not work. Um, and I really don't care at this point in the film. Followed by um, Nigel Smallforcet coming back and into the pool. Bond winks at the camera and we have the end. I'm ready for this film to be over. Now, the question I have here with the bomb in this location... What is blowing up a nuclear bomb there going to do to the world? Why is that such a bad thing? Oh. Don't know. Here's a better question. <laughs> the the plot was dealing with the fact that we don't know where this other bomb is. Well, Largo just went all the way to North Africa for a reason. To blow a, a bomb up. Um. 
Yeah. <laughs> That's wow. Okay, sorry. I just I'm glad I'm not the only one questioning what the hell they're trying to do here. I thought I was going to get on here and you two were going to be like, well, the purpose of that, of course, was to destroy the world's <laughs> supply of horses in the water or something like that. But um, <laughs> clearly not. Closed um, I, I I actually really like the set. I love that sort of blue water cave thing. Like that looks amazing. Yeah, like I want to cool. go there. That looks awesome. But. That's probably like the only thing I've written here. Um, Bond in jetpack rocket thing. What the actual fuck? Um, <laughs> inner cave boxes, tightrope, keep. The, I can't remember what that was. Nice bath. <laughs> like oh, even, don't talk about baths. Again. I'm not even paying attention here. And I have actually written a note here for one of our um, esteemed hosts here. Uh, Burning man for Colin. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> As soon as that bit was on, I'm thinking, Colin's loving this film all of a sudden. <laughs> Toasted marshmallow, man. Um, yeah, the yeah. underwater fight is pretty shit. Um, Kim Basinger sing- saves the day. My question is, how does Bond know the code to this bomb? Like, go back to Goldfinger. He's like, oh, what, what, what do I cut? And random guy comes in and saves the day. Um, so, yeah. And then the scene at the end... Um, I always have a martini at five, like, because you're an old codger and, like, five o'clock's your bedtime. It's a nightcap. Um, and yeah, Mr. Bean and the wink. Now, one fascinating thing I did read, though, I don't know if either of you two read this, is that apparently it was actually planned. They wanted to do it so that they'd be walking down the street, Connery and Bassinger, and that they bumped, like, Bond bumped into a man and this person turned around and it was Roger Moore and Roger Moore said to Connery, never say never again, and then it closed the film. Like, apparently Moore and Connery were both down for it. Um, that can't be true. I'll, I'll see if I can find it. It's on um, the trivia aspect of it. Um, and But apparently know, it was held up with something along those lines. But I found that fascinating. Was that edited by Bernie Casey on Wikipedia? <laughs> oh, here we go. This, this trivia, it is rumoured... Okay, it is rumoured that Sean Rumor. Connery... Oh, I don't believe ...had it. an alternative ending to the wink in mind. As the characters walk down the street, a man brushes by them, causing them to double-take and look back at him. The camera angle shifts, and we see that it is Roger Moore, who turns to look at them and says, Never say never again. Roger Moore and Sean Connery were good friends and were both willing to do it, but they were never able to convince the director and producer. I don't believe that. that well, I actually think that kind of would have been cool. Like, am I the only one who yeah, thinks that would be funny? I would that because this film's already so WTF that we may as well put that in there. Um, this is my notes for the climax. Uh, <laughs> Felix, Felix kills everyone while Grandpa's airlifted out. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> which, if you've not seen this movie, watch it. You'll realize that's exactly what happened. Bond gets his gun knocked away, bumbles around aimlessly in a cave before he basically leaves the same way he came in by being airlifted. Uh, wow. I do like this set, but seriously, this is Felix killing everyone in sight and Bond doing nothing. And we complained about how Thunderball had maybe a little bit too long of a climax. I think the climax in Thunderball was perfect as it was, uh, length and everything. Here we have an equal amount of time spent with guys looking around a cave, not even doing anything in a cave, just looking around a cave. And then instead of having two armies of dozens of guys fighting and killing each other in the water and swimming around obstacles, we have two guys just lying down in the water, 
wrestling a little bit and they're old men wrestling you know like there's nothing going on in this climax and then domino comes in for the kill but who cares i had trouble even realizing it was domino like when of course knowing the way that thunderball ended you know okay domino's probably going to come in for the kill it was so effective the way they did it in Thunderball. That was one of the best endings, I think, of any Bond movie. You know, this massive fight between two guys, and all of a sudden you just see Largo shot and Domino pops up. You have this dramatic music playing. There was nothing dramatic about the way this was handled. It was just thrown in there, and it's like, oh, Domino's there. And you can't even tell it's her because she's wearing a wet cap. Um, and she could very well be uh, Nigel Small Fawcett or whatever. Uh, and we wouldn't even know the difference. And that last scene, I mean, the wink, it's its kind of funny, but again, it's just, it's the only way you could really end this movie. You know, the, the entire thing's just kind of a joke. Um, I like the the thing about I always have a martini at five because you said, Ben, it's like, yeah, because he's an old man, he goes to bed. And that's exactly what I was thinking of. Like, <laughs> I always have a martini at five. It's like, I needed to take my back pill with, you know? He's got to down his meds with something. Because it's just, it just shows how awkward this relationship with Domino is. Because she's basically pointing out the fact. It's like, well, you got to change in your ways after a 68 years old man, you know? Oh, this movie's just a disaster. I don't know why anybody gives it any credit. It's ridiculous. I thought I was going to be nice to this. I can't do it anymore. <laughs> well, yes, that's a good way to end this uh, jabber turd. Um, Steaming ball of yeah. jabber shit. The end of Never Say Never Again. Yay, James Bond won't return in <laughs> Atomic... What is it? Warhead. Adam Warhead <laughs> 2000 AD. Um... Yeah, he's not returning for that. Well, never say never again. It could be back. Um, Warhead 2000 in 2017. Um, <laughs> yeah. <sighs> Yay. <laughs> <laughs> Notice All how right. our voices are happier now that we've finished talking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I need I need a shower. I need to wash myself off after talking about this film. Um, yeah, let's talk about our ending things. I feel like we don't have much to talk about here. Let's roll the sound clip for the stupid idiot. Box office. And Peter Travers, he is a stupid. But don't read his stuff. And uh, we've got box office, but I'm not even sure if the stupid idiot has a ranking or if he didn't count this. But Ben... Hit us with your facts. Sure. Well, I, I don't have Stupid Idiot didn't do one, but I've got a different one, which I'll get to in a minute. But, um, oh. yeah, so box office-wise, if I can find the right screen in front of me. There we go. Thanks, Ben. Um, Never Say Never Again uh, made $55,432,841, which on the overall scheme of things places it 11th, um, just behind... Thunderball, so the original Thunderball made more, even when you don't adjust it, which is good. And obviously, um, Battle of the Bonds, as we talked about it at the end of Octopussy, uh, made thir- uh, $12 million less than Octopussy, which made 67893000 But um, according to this, Never Say Never Again actually made a million dollars more than For Your Eyes Only, more money than Living Daylights, Goldfinger, and the next one that we'll be talking about soon, A View to a Kill. Adjusted... Uh, Never Say Never Again comes in at 19th, 147 million. 
uh, which comes behind Dr. No and just ahead of On Her Majesty's Secret Service. And anybody who places think... Never Say Never Again above On Her Majesty's Secret Service is a dickhead. Well, I think was, that's something we do need to home in, that it lost the Battle of the Bonds. I, as, to reiterate what I said at the beginning, this was not a failure for how bad this film is. No. Um, and also, uh, Peter Travers did rank this film. He did? Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. Oh, did he? Okay, well, okay. Well, I'll, the list I'm looking at, I'll just quickly say I found the Rotten Tomatoes ranking of Bonds, and they put it. They've got it at 18th, um, just below Moonraker, and just ahead of Die Another Day. Go fuck yourselves. Uh, where did Kevin, where did Peter Tra- Travers put this? Well, you know how we say in the intro, Peter Travers, he is a stupid idiot. Yes. <laughs> Peter Travis ranks the Bond films best to worst. <sighs> Rolling Stones, Peter Travis says this is the 13th best James Bond film what? ever released. Oh. What? <laughs> it's just below For Your Eyes Only. What? <laughs> and below it is The Man with the Golden Gun. <laughs> oh, fucking hell. <laughs> Moonrakers below it, octopuses below it, <laughs> mutual kill. Oh, <laughs> Diamonds are forever. <laughs> Fucking hell. Golden eyes below Nepos. So hang oh, on, he's written come here. On. He's written here. If a movie stars Sean Connery 007, it's a Bond film. Okay then, well I'm just going to pop over to the Bahamas. I'm going to write like the James Bond does a dump screenplay and I'm going to like go up to Connery and get him to like film a scene where he goes fuck off my property um and then I'm going to like <laughs> cut him with a scissors. get um John uh, what was his name that, that oh, guy the, who does the, his yeah, impersonator yeah the impersonator yeah 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 John Allen <laughs> get him to do it it says after years of gadgets never benefits from the attention director Irvin Kershinger pays to actors over oh. effects what attention to actors there's like two people in this movie who are acting the rest are just like cardboard cutouts <laughs> oh god damn Peter it Travers Peter Travers to, to a new low Oh, when we get to die another day at number 10, that's like a, a, a genius pick compared to this for you. Oh, my Jesus. Nah, nah, Peter Travis, you're, Travis, you're, Travis, you're a, oh, I used a C word once in this episode. I'm not going to use it twice, but oh, <laughs> my God. <laughs> I think we need a new intro. Like, I don't think Stupid Idiot uh, is even close enough. For you him. are a beep, beep, beep. Yeah, that's what we... Can we re-edit it for this one? You are a beep. I just want to remind everybody that Peter Travers is the one that Ben brought in to defend Die Another Day. <laughs> oh, we will stick 13. with him for another few movies. <laughs> oh, Alright, let's go to our next thing. Um, rankings, let's not even play the intro. Don't even do it. Last. Okay. And last. We're not counting it, but if we were last. to count it. Last. Dead last. Well, let's do the, the alternate rankings. So, this is actually first. Uh, and then when yeah. we get to Casino Royale 54 and Casino Royale 67 <laughs> or 9, uh, then we'll see how they rank against can, this. Can this I, is like the worst. Can I ask a legitimate question just because you've got to make me feel good about Die Another Day? Would you two seriously rank this better or worse than Die Another Day? Worse. Oh, good. All right. Thank God. There's one. Uh, I, I actually do wonder where this <laughs> holds up against the other two non-official Bond films, which we'll get to. So, currently it's first in our non-official rankings. Non-official rankings, I like that. 
Um, we won't play the intro because it's not a Hall of Fame, but... <laughs> do we, hang on, do we have to do that for this movie? Serious? Well, I'm the credits, We do done. a Hall of Shame for it. <laughs> the Hall of Shame. Uh, let's, let's do a Hall of Fame and include the horse going off the cliff just to show <laughs> how we feel about this whole movie. Um, well, I was thinking we can say the three best scenes or something. Um... Are there three? Did, I think we all agreed this film is horrible, but it does have some okay moments. Yeah, I, I, I yeah, not. Nah. <laughs> I'm putting the motorbike up there as the best scene. Horse, horse, <laughs> yes. Still better than Bambi and Thump. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's say the horse, but that entire sequence of the escape from the Arab castle. Oh, no, nah, just the horse. <laughs> the motorbike, and what else? Death by piss. <laughs> there we go. There's our whole of Done. Death by piss. All right. Threatened down. Can't be changed. That's the whole of shame. Um, what has happened to Double R Seven? Exactly what you're asking I'm about dying James Bond. For you to a kill. <laughs> And I guess we can play the intro for this one. This- Even though we're not actually counting it in the total count, we'll probably talk about it in our 80s retrospective. And we still counted it for this one, but it doesn't count overall. This- but maybe we can do it a non-official Bond kiss, kiss, bang, bang count. I'm not sure if there's any in Casino Royale, but this- play the theme song, the only this- theme song for this one. Oh, this- no, we played Peter. This- Never mind, this, film, this episode sucks. Play it. Mr. Kiss, Kiss. <laughs> wow, I was like about to press play, All about right. to press play, about to press play, and then you're like, still uh, <laughs> Yeah, you almost played it when you weren't supposed to. Um, yeah, I don't even know. Bond, James Bond 1, and it was a horrible one. Well, we should really point that yes. out because it was early on. Like, Bond, I James was, Bond. I was thinking that they weren't allowed to use it because it was very early on, I think, when he was in the rehab. There was a real obvious one where he should have used it, but he was just like, my name is Bond, and that was all he said. Mm-hmm. So, But then he yeah, said, I've got one. Yeah. But it was a really weird, though. Yeah, it was a very forced, yucky one. <laughs> <laughs> like this entire film. Um, Martini's two. Two? Yeah, I had two with a questionable third. Mm. Uh, there was the one where he ordered vodka on the rocks, and again, oh, I, I, I don't drink, count. so I don't know if that counts or not. Is that a martini? I don't think that counts. Well, I honestly had none, Me- but I wasn't paying attention. So. <laughs> you <laughs> said in your notes. I know, I haven't marked it down. I haven't marked it down, so whatever you two say. You you temporarily marked down a horse falling in the water as a kill, <laughs> but you can pay attention to one martini. <laughs> so, two or one, uh, did we say? Kiss. It's, yeah, two martinis, one Bon James on. Kiss. Four? I'm not sure if I got it because all these people look the same. Is it three? I thought it was four. Four. I think this is yeah, most I think it's movie. Four. I'm not sure if I Patricia, counted. Fatima, Patricia. Uh, Nicole, and Boat Lady, Domino. <laughs> yeah, four then. Um, it's not the most. From Russia, Love had four, this and was the another 80s one had as four. Well, Bond, Jesus, don't you know the dangers of what you were it's, doing? It's equal most. But it, let's, yeah, let's be honest. So this is the most for any Bond over the age of fifty-two at this point. <laughs> this this guy's yeah, senior citizens hope. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see that, Mildred? Look how much he's getting laid. Let's go to the bedroom and have some hanky panky. Maybe this is still... pre-Viagra. Let's give Connery a little bit of credit here. <laughs> it's also the start of the All AIDS right. epidemic. Jesus. Yeah, we saw how deadly his urine was. Um... <laughs> That's where it started. <laughs> All right. I think I'm 
almost certain I got this wrong, but we'll see. And maybe we'll just average it out. Uh, I'm saying ten for the kills. Oh, I got a five. I got Oof. like four. Hang on, I included the shark. <laughs> oh, I didn't. Well, well I did don't you think count the, the pre-title people? No, because that was a video. No, because it was a training exercise with blanks. Yeah, <laughs> I I did initially, but then I crossed it out. I've written he killed three guys, and I was like, uh oh no. Well, I wasn't sure, um, but yeah, I guess not. Well, if we can count them, then come down another day. We have. Well, to they did the say it was a training we? exercise, so I guess not. Where were the yeah. cameras in that? Did we even touch on that? Like, but we, I didn't know if it was cameras? a training exercise, like <laughs> that it was still real situation. Oh, I don't know. No, if we count that, we have to count the ones in the virtual reality in Die Another Day, which don't. So yeah, no. Happy to not count yeah. it. So don't bring up Die Another Day. I know. I, I had. I don't even want to play it. Death- Death by Herein, um, yeah, the guy that he throws out the window during the escape, the guy he throws off the cliff, and then Largo. He yeah, didn't I've kill got Largo. Them. Yes, he did. Didn't Largo dies? <laughs> oh no! Wait, Domino I guess Domino. Largo. Yeah, so then four would be right. Well, I counted Largo too, but I guess it's Domino. Is well, it? I've gotten four with the shark, so I've missed one I of those he ones. Kills Largo. No, Domino shoots no, Domino Largo. I wasn't like, paying attention to yeah. this. Um, Nobody paid attention to this movie. Yeah, well, I've got four I've got with the four, shark, so uh, mine would be. I'm missing one of those. But I ones. just. Well, yeah, but I just gave you four. I know you <laughs> did. You, you it's, didn't five. Get, it's five. It's five. Five with the five. shark. Okay. Let's just so not debate animals. the bang bang. I've never said that. Yeah, ever. this is never seen ever again. What are we doing? I don't give a fuck how many people he killed. The movie's over, all right? And <laughs> so, I have to imagine that that horse. Never made it to land. <laughs> it's Wilson! Wilson! Alright, that's over. Let's end this thing. Let's talk about general closing thoughts, um, the legacy of this film. <laughs> this is a bad film. It, I still count it as a Bond film. I don't care. It is a James Bond film. It's not a great one. I won't be watching it anytime soon, but unlike you two, I probably... I, I think I will revisit this film one time in the future. I don't think it's over completely. I feel like you two probably won't. Um, although maybe I'll watch it, the re-edited John Barry version. I'd actually be interested in seeing how much of an impact that does actually have. But I think I might wait about at least a year before I do that. Um, yeah, it's not bad. I, I do like to at least give it props where it deserves it. I think the... The bike thing is really cool. I like the Arab castle thing, the horse, horsey thing. Um, I thought Lighter was really cool. Um, Rowan Atkinson was okay. Blofeld was okay. Some of the shots, like the location, were okay, but they didn't really utilize it too well. So it's not like every single scene is bad. I like the pre-title or the title. So... It's a bad film, but I still give it props where it deserves it. I think the motorbikes holds up with other Bond films. Um, and again, probably won't watch it anytime soon, but I will revisit it eventually. There are only two ways I will ever rewatch this film again. One is if we decide that we ever do something like a commentary sort of thing that we would do and I can sit here and just laugh the shit over it while we watch it. And the second is if I'm captured by ISIS and they force me to watch this as a form of punishment. <laughs> This is rubbish, um, and it has, like, what, two and three-quarter things that are good about it, but this isn't a Bond film. This is shit. This is 
Jabba the Hutt turd wrapped in tin foil on a hot steaming pile of shit day. Um, I would watch Moonraker before I watch this again. Um, well, most everyone would. <laughs> I think exactly. I think every even people who are like anti-space. Um, which I don't think I've ever met somebody. Oh, I really hate space. I don't want to watch oh, that. Oh, those film. conspiracy theorists who don't believe space exists. Yeah, exactly. Um, but just uh, I, I when we eventually get to an episode where we talk about our favourite Bonds and we rank Bonds, like I'm putting this in the big negative column against Sean Connery. Um, this just hurts him. My opinion hurts his reputation as Bond that he did this. Um. And it's just sad to see him do this film. So yeah, let's let's just forget this ever happened and um, move right the fuck on. Um, I said at the beginning that I was going to be a little bit nicer to this movie than Ben was. I don't think I have been. Uh, now's the time for me to say something good. Um, this movie plays better as a James Bond movie if you've seen it more than once. I really would love to hear from anybody who saw this movie once. And really loved it because I could not understand why. Having seen it before, gotten over my disappointment and then seen it again, there is certain elements of this that work nowhere near on the Bond level. It's too ordinary of just a standard 80s action movie uh, with really no workable plot for it to be a good movie. But I can see it more as a Bond movie than I could have before. And I think it just takes more than one view to see that. Uh, Fatima is great in this movie. Largo has some good elements to him. Um, There's a couple of good one-liners throughout the movie. The shark scene I thought was fun. The bike scene I thought was okay. The horse falling off the cliff's great. Um, (laughs) Other than that, it's, it's not something I really care to revisit again. As I said, there are bad Bond movies that I have seen dozens of times. I, everybody heard how much I hated You Only Live Twice and Diamonds Are Forever, and yet I will watch those movies every year, two years tops. I've never had the desire to watch this movie again, and I don't think I ever will have the desire to watch it again unless it is, like you said, for doing some commentaries. And I was not hating it as much as Ben was, so I think it just says a lot about how really insignificant this movie is and what a poor attempt this was to make something different, either go different or make it a parody like there was it's it's an experiment that just didn't work um yeah that kind of sums it up pretty well and then yeah they tried to bring it back warhead 2000 eventually mcclory lost the rights they said he waited too long between trying to claim a lot of cash and whatever um i'm sure we'll touch on it throughout our ventures through the bond history at one point but and, and then eventually that led to where we are. This film is actually quite relevant to the time of recording because it's with that that they finally got the rights to Spectre, 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 that they made Bond 24 into a film called Spectre, Spectre, Spectre. So this is quite an important film, no matter how bad it is. Um, so that's where we are up to at this point. That's the history of Never Say Never Again. Um, uh And, yeah, after Diamonds Are Forever, it was never really the end of Sean Connery. Um, But this is finally the end if we don't count the game. But I guess maybe do we wait to the 80s episode to eulogize both him and more, a bit more than perhaps here because we don't want to talk about this anymore. So we'll save that perhaps for the (laughs) 80s films where we'll be talking about the end of more Dalton and Connery. Um, But, yeah, this is the end of him. Yeah. 
Yeah, View to a Kill, or From a View to a Kill. No, let's change the name to A View to a Kill. Just quickly, briefly, because uh, we want to wrap this one up. Looking forward to it. It's a campy one. I've always liked the campy ones over the free-your-eyes-only type ones. There's a lot of things wrong with the film, that's for sure. Um, it's not going to be my top five, but I probably enjoy it more than the average viewer. I think a lot of people hate it. I think it's got a great villain and henchman, some cool shots and scenery. Um, Roger Moore is like a zombie at this point, but again, it never really bothers me like other people as much. And I'm looking forward to getting back to some good classic Bond, uh, even if it's not the greatest Bond film ever, but I, I do love A View to a Kill. I remember in our Diamonds Are Forever one, Noah, you said that everybody has that one film that they kind of have as a guilty pleasure or sort of as a, a apologist for. And I guess you both assume mine is Die Another Day. Maybe it is. But I would put A View to a Kill up there as one of mine because I freaking love this movie. It's just, oh, besides the fact that we've got, you know, Grandpa Moore, um, which again, I told you I'm not going to bag him out anymore after watching Never Say Never Again. Um, it's just, I just think it's great. Like, we have... Christopher Walken playing a Bond villain. I mean, there are just some actors out there that you could just easily see in the role of a Bond villain, and Christopher Walken is one of them, and he's superb. He's just one of the greatest Bond villains of all time. You've got Mayday, you know, Grace Jones, like, so good. Like, oh, it's just amazing. And, you know, yes, okay, Roger Moore is super old, but, you know, it's it's kind of a perfect farewell for him, which is the style of this film. Like, it's campy, it's a bit over the top, and it can show that senior citizens are capable of anything if they put their mind to it. Like, it's uh, it's just great. And I, I love the location. Like, I love the fact that they make use of, like, iconic structures like the Eiffel Tower and the Golden Gate Bridge. And it's a very relevant film to the time with, like, Silicon Valley and the microchips and all this sort of stuff. Like... I love this movie, and I I am so glad we're getting to this, because one thing when we got to Octopus, I'm like, yes, we can get to A View to a Kill, and then I'm like, oh, fuck, we've got to watch Never Say Never Again, so it's I'm glad that we're finally putting the Jabba the Hutt turd behind us and get to this, because, yeah, I, I am very, very excited, and I also should point out one of the greatest theme songs in the history of James Bond, and one of my favourite posters, we didn't really talk about the For Your Eyes Only poster, which we did in the preview, I think, to it, but... Um, yeah, so much about this film that I love. I can't wait to talk about it. It's not a great James Bond movie. Um, it's frequently listed as one of the worst, and I don't think it really deserved that reputation. I also don't think that it's nearly as good as the two that preceded this fear. I was only an octopusy, but in some ways it is a welcome change of pace because they did something different with a view to a kill, which is they went back to a little bit of the sixties class with the movie and, in some ways, I think this is the only Roger Moore movie that feels like it almost belongs with the 60s movies, like the tone of it, the story, just the right level of being over the top. And yet it's not necessarily a great movie. It's just that they, they handled it in a way where this, I believe, is kind of the final classic James Bond movie. A lot of people talk about the classic series as if it goes up until License to Kill. Others say it goes up to Die Another Day. This was really the end of classic Bond, and it's not because just Roger Moore left. It was because they really embraced a classic Bond style for the movie, and that's the one thing I always appreciate about it. Even though I don't think the story's great, it, it's just a complete knockoff of Goldfinger. Um, I don't even really love Christopher Walken, and Ben's going to hate me for saying that. Mm. I think that he's a little bit too over the top. Um, but overall, it's it's a movie that I can always enjoy watching, Beach Boys and all. And uh, yeah, there's 
this is probably the last time we get to see some really spectacular stunts for a long time, and that's going to be one of the best things to talk about in this. Cool, that's it. We're done. Yay! <laughs> um, that was Never Say Never Again. I hope you enjoyed our take on the film. Um, don't think it's a surprise that this episode had less humour than <laughs> most of the episodes that we do on our behalf because there really wasn't a lot to talk about here. Um, but, hey, we've done it, and I'm glad we did talk about it. It would be better than just skipping it completely because I still feel like it's an important uh, aspect in the history of the James Bond saga. But that's it. That's it. It's over. Um, my name is Noah, and thank God. My name is Ben, and Jesus H. Christ, we're over with this shit. Oh, God, let's move on to something better. And my name is Colin, and never say, never say, never again. Yeah, that's it. We're over, and now we can never watch, never say, never again, again. Good night. I am Supreme Commander of Spectrum, the Special Executive for Counterintelligence, Terrorism, Revenge, and Extortion. Mr. Bond, I need a urine sample. If you could fill the speaker for me. From here? It can never be the same playing with blanks. What is this for? You unscrew it, then stick it up your nose. Don't overdo it. A herbal enema should fix you up. Thank you. You know, there is a more beneficial therapy for a man's lower back. Really? Mm. I always have a martini at five. (laughs) You'll never give up your old habits, James. How reckless of me. I made you all wet. Yes, but my martini's still dry. Now write this. The greatest rapture in my life was afforded me the boat in Nassau by Fatima Blush. Signed, James Bond, 007. Don't touch him, he's mine! The eternal battle for the domination of the world begins. Give me a shock. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, I forgot. A man did try to kill me, sir. No! Caught you seducing his wife, did he? He's never gone this far before. He's certifiable. You're crazy. Yeah, maybe. I'm crazy. Hey, Mr. Bond! Nigel Smallfoot. Sorry, I'm late. But as you were one of these undercover Johnnies, I took a precaution of not being followed. And that's why you shouted my name across the harbour. Oh, God, did I? Oh, I'm sorry. Damn. Damn. Do you serve men here? Some men more than others. M says that without you in the service, he fears for the security of the civilized world. Never again. Never? Daniela, Daniela, Daniela.